Hey guys, your host Bobby Shortle here. Um, the following episode of Talking Comics is dedicated to the men and women on the ground doing their best to peacefully protest in Ferguson, to the Amnesty International workers, to the reporters who are doing their jobs, and to the friends and family of everyone affected there. This is for you. This is a regular show. But at the end, I'm going to say a little something about Ferguson. I hope you guys will listen, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 20th, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hi. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hello, dear. And joining us for the first time ever, new contributor of Talking Comics, Nikki Alfaro. Nikki, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. We're very, very excited. Mm -hmm. Um, Stephanie is traveling, as she seems Mm -hmm. to be always doing. Um, and if she's lucky, next week we'll let her back on the podcast. Uh, but Nikki is joining us uh, this week, and I want to, oh, Nikki, I want you to tell people about yourself in a second. But Bob, you're a little uh, hello there. Uh, I can't remember the comedian's name. Is Marty it? Allen. Marty Allen. All right, I just want to make sure that yeah, it was that. I was reference. doing my Marty Allen. Okay. Yes. All right. I actually knew a reference that Bob pulled out. I'm very, very happy. <laughs> I recognize him. It's the beginning <laughs> of the end. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> All right, Nikki. So uh, it's really funny that we're having this conversation because the other night uh, I had a kind of Skype meeting with the new people on the site, and uh, I asked Nikki this exact same question, uh, and she answered it very, very well. Um, but Nikki, why don't you tell people may- maybe don't know who you are, um, what com- comics you love, um, what you want to write about, what your passions are. Tell us about tell us my about my aunt babysat me a lot, so I was at her house, and I just um, got into comics because her son, my cousin, had this long box of comics that he left behind when he went to school, and I would just read every single one of them. Um, probably not, probably not the best era for comics, but it was still enough to hook me. <laughs> what were some of the comics that uh you would find in that box um the death of superman um and the resurrection uh i wasn't allowed to open that issue because it was still in the plastic no. so black, i could black yeah cover, right? yeah so i could only read the issues that came after so it, it just took mm. me because i'm just like how did he die for years so you <laughs> for years you lived through the superman mullet then yes <laughs> wow mm. the richard lewis superman yeah, richard lewis. wow yeah. those are some battle scars right there yeah. Yeah. and then i kind of loved superboy since then like he was my favorite character for a very very long time until new 52 <laughs> 
basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is now canceled. I think there is no Superboy comic right now. I stopped paying. I'm pretty attention sure to that that's what happened a while ago. Um, I tried a bunch of times because I really like Superboy too. There were two times where I tried to jump on. It changed teams a couple times, and it just seemed like it never kind of got off the ground. Yeah, I, th- mm. I think um, they changed his character a lot. Um, yeah. So. For for me, loving Superboy from when I started reading comics to basically when New Fifty Two started, he had this really big character growth, and it was just heartbreaking to see that all like erased. <laughs> right. So. And uh, wh- which Superboy, Connor? Yeah, Kent? Connor Kent. Okay. All right. <laughs> with the with the leather jacket and the faded haircut and yeah, 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 yeah. and the and the the cool ninety sunglasses yeah. there <laughs> to the still, bone. Yeah. I still have the action figure. <laughs> His sunglasses were ridiculous. <laughs> um, I don't know why he had to wear sunglasses to see Superboy, but you know, he had to look cool, man. It was the nineties. He had a leather jacket. He to yeah, yeah the that's look. true. Plus all the super ladies. Yeah. Well, you got. I mean, if you want to look cool, you got to wear a leather jacket. That's. <laughs> Hey, I'm kind of like Superman. <laughs> Cinema has taught us that forever. Uh, I don't know. He, when I saw the Avengers all going out on a mission wearing leather jackets over their costumes <laughs> with an Avengers patch on the shoulder. <laughs> really? Guys? What a... Uh, that... He wasn't calling himself Superboy, though, right? When in the, the Return of Superman, Death and Return of Superman stuff? Oh, yeah. He was like, don't call me Superboy. I'm Superman. Yeah. Right, right. Because I'm his right, replacement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was the four replacements. What? The Cyborg Superman yeah. Steel. Yes. Yeah. Um, Superboy, Superboy, and uh, the Eradicator. Oh yes, yes the Eradicator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. See, Nikki, Nikki's got it down. Nikki knows <laughs> her Death and Return of Superman. All I can think about is that Death of Superman video. Oh, the Max Landis one. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I read that last year when I was I was I was putting together like a Superman stories list, and the first time I ever read it. Um, and I, mean, I, I think that. That the 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 I guess the, the graphic novel collected like the Death of Superman mm-hmm. one, the one that ends obviously with the the big fight where he actually dies. I think is a pretty entertaining uh, comic book yeah. arc. I, I think that it's more looked poorly upon for a of course the the speculator nature of that last issue and also kind of what it wrought later. One of the things that uh, in in air quotes but not ruined comic. Right. Yeah. The the civilians mm-hmm. became involved. Yeah. Let's buy lots of those. We'll put them away. We'll send our kids to college. They're all still in boxes, and those kids aren't going anywhere. Yeah, I remember so many of those like significant issues, whether it be Batman getting his back broken or Superman dying. I remember seeing them on the shelves growing up as a kid, and not knowing that one day like they would be important or worth something, mm-hmm. or just that it was a milestone happening currently. But I was busy you know, buying, I don't know, Marvel masterpiece cards right. or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I remember my look, I was, I lived in Vermont at the time in this little town called Manchester. And, uh, um, I went into the local, like, you know, mom and pop video store, um, where I always rented Godzilla movies mm-hmm. constantly. And they had like a little newsstand in there, nothing big, but I remember seeing the book there. And I remember in like the newspaper, there was like a Superman's dead, mm-hmm. like it was a slow headline. news day, yeah, <laughs> um, thing. And I remember, I remember knowing about it, but not really. I didn't, I, 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 I didn't know enough about it to to investigate it at all. Um, I was reading Spider-Man comics at the time, but that's all I was reading, so I didn't really have any interest in, in Superman. It made the television news, right? Because there were people, there were hustlers outside subway stations selling them for fifty bucks right. to <laughs> businessmen in suits with attaché cases. 
up the store from my record store. That's when this I was there then. There was a comic store right near where Reese's is, where we mm. go for lunch often. Hmm. And they specialized in image in the 90s. Mm. And that's they had just gotten into that, younger people. And they, they were hawking the crap out of this. <laughs> and, a, and a friend of mine's wife called me, knew nothing about comics except maybe little Lulu from back in, in the day when she <laughs> oh, was wow. a little girl because she's my age. Mm. And I, I just bought this thing for, for 20 bucks. How long do you think I should keep it? Uh, tomorrow? Sell it. Right now, <laughs> because it's Superman. He'll be back, and this isn't going to be worth the paper it's printed on. Sell it now and make your fifty bucks, make your hundred bucks, and go. Yeah. And she acted like I'd hit her in the head with an axe. <laughs> I had ruined her dream. And it's like I'm sorry, but I'm sending my kids to college on this. Right. We get people coming into the comic shop that are looking to oh, sell off happens. their stuff. Like they yeah. bring in you know garbage essentially like yeah. toilet paper and it's just they're so you can you can hear the breaking of their hearts yeah. or just those like those money symbols going like yeah you know gone oh, yeah. my, now, my yeah. cousin and a lot of my friends uh, older friends would have like the wolverine comics and they'd be like mm-hmm. oh it's gonna be yeah. worth so much and i just <laughs> have to break their hearts <laughs> before they yeah. bring it in <laughs> So. I mean, it's a hard thing to know because some of them come in and they, they 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 don't know at all. They have no idea. They're just trusting that you're going to be shoot straight with them. Mm. You know, they're like, oh yeah, you know, my my I found these in a house I was demolishing. Yeah. You know, what can I get for them? Mm-hmm. Knowing nothing yeah. at all, and you could be like, you know, um, like seventy bucks. And like, oh sure. And then there's books in there that you could turn around for God knows what. Well, it's today I, I saw it on the internet. It, it's a halfway through an auction. I forget which auction house it is for a, fi- a very fine copy of Action Comics One from 1938, the first Superman. Ooh. Halfway through the auction, I think they're at 1.6 oh, million. They're at two million now. Last I heard, there were two. Yeah. They've gotten to okay. Wow. <laughs> now that's the book you had to have, but there could be a dozen copies of that on Earth, not a dozen, 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 dozen. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I had a friend uh, from college, and he he emailed me like a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago and was like, hey, I found these comics at my parents' house. Do you want them? Like, I have like two long boxes. Uh, you know, if you give me like 50 bucks, I'll, you can have them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want them. <laughs> I don't care what's in them because I just have too many comic books already and I'm going to get, I'm getting rid of my single issues as it is. So I don't want it. And, but then I saw him and he was talking about it and he's like, yeah. He's like, he was around that time. He was a kid in the 90s yeah. just like with me. So he, he has all that stuff. He's like all like, you know, he's like full runs of like the original Valiant titles and oh, stuff cool. like that. Uh, he's like, I got a Superman, death of Superman, like still on the <laughs> thing. He's like, it's going to be worth something. I was like, it's really not. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like if you go to a tour, they have like a hundred of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know, saw it at a used bookstore and it was like yeah. two bucks. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's funny how that kind of stuff happens and how I think the things that people want to force into being rare or important rarely ever become that, right? I think those of us in the comics community, we're, we still get exercised about it on the internet. Someone's dying or someone's mm-hmm. doing this and we complain, we don't fall for this anymore. Mm-hmm. But when something important happens, the phone calls begin. Archie. Yeah. yeah. Right. Where the, the calls came or or they're changing this or they're doing that or it's Steve Rogers has no powers again. And yeah. and wait three months, he'll have him back and don't worry about it. He's not dying forever. And it's Wolverine. Hey folks, spoiler alert, Wolverine's not gonna stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> well I- just saying. Rob was telling me, uh, Rob from Tor, he said, uh, the day after Guardians of the Galaxy, we were, we were texting back and forth. He goes, just to tell you, show you how ridiculous people are. <laughs> He's like, I've gotten about 47 calls today about Howard the Duck single yeah. issues. 
because of the the, the after credits tease. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So. I, I think it's uh, it's ridiculous, obviously. And uh, anytime they announce like a t- the possibility of a TV show, those books skyrocket up. I mean, you look at a bu- the uh, like book like Peter Panzerfaust. Yeah. Oh yeah. For Curtis Weeb, which it was a good book and it was relatively well reviewed, but for some reason, at some point, it it it, it people just wanted it and three hundred bucks, man. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, there wasn't any around because it was a small print run when it came out. And then, but then what happens is it generates its own demand, right? Because people go, oh, I can't get it. So I, I, next time, I, when I, as soon as I find it, I got to pay whatever anybody's asking for it. And then it just builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. Mm-hmm. The point where like you're selling five issues of Peter Panzerfaust for three hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and Curtis Weeb isn't say, seeing a damn no. penny of that. That's not anyone's fault. It's just it's just a weird thing, you know, about comic books. It's the turtles. That's exactly what happened with Eastman and, and the Turtles, okay. where it was nothing. It was a book printed on. Nothing paper, mm-hmm. very small print run, black and white, and then it became a thing. Right. And once it was a thing, it exploded, and now you've got movies. Yeah. Uh, he should. He seems to be doing okay with himself, though, now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not as well as he probably could have no. if he had gotten to cash in all those books that no. he... No. But I'm sure he gets a piece of all the, all the stuff, oh, yeah. his name's on all of it, because it, he owns it, right? Yeah. IDW doesn't own smart. it. He owns no, it. He's definitely it. getting a piece of the new movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, he's talked about it a ton. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, he does own the IP, right? He, yeah. Yeah. It's on, it's on IDW, so that's, I mean, that's great for him. Well, that's where a lot of the money is, and we listen to Mike. Were you at the Mike Allred panel with us? No. Oh, okay. Wait, yes. Okay. Yes, I was. Where he was talking about so many of his things have been optioned and never made, but he got big checks. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, Yeah. Well, fine. You know, if you ever get to it, great. In the meantime, send me some more checks. <laughs> well, that was a great little uh, diversion of a conversation. Thank you, Nikki, for bringing up Death and Return of Superman. <laughs> it led to some great stuff. Um, so uh, we're going to move on to our lightning round section. Um, for those of you who haven't been listening, lightning round is a three-minute section where each of us goes over a grouping of books that we want to talk about that maybe we've talked about a lot or aren't quite... Uh, material to be expounded upon it at any length or something we just want to mention that we happen to look whatever it is we fit it can be as many books it can be one book it can be 10 books um fit into into three minutes of time mm-hmm. uh nikki i'm not gonna make you go first uh, because this is your first your first okay. episode uh, <laughs> you can breathe a sigh of relief there uh but i'm gonna make steve go first i just put my notes away man <laughs> well it's a bad idea to do when you're getting to the lightning round I got like thirty six percent left on my battery. <laughs> you should. Have, you, should. you should do it now. I'm, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm good. Mm. I'm good. Let's go. Let's do this. Thirty six round. You, wow. All right, you ready? Yeah. Lightning round. <laughs> go. All right. Book that I I really really enjoyed the living hell out of this week, which comes as no surprise. Everyone's favorite sexy book, sexy sexy criminals, sexy criminals. <laughs> Sex criminals number seven, Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Uh, this book took kind of a strange turn uh, with issue number six. Things got a lot more serious uh, as they were. The tagline was pretty much the honeymoon is over. And uh, we're now faced with not a slump, but just a different tone and different take on the book. And it had a couple of people a little bit worried. Uh, have no fear because issue number seven just ramps things right back up and kicks things into high gear and brings the laughs. I had probably the biggest laugh that I've ever had reading this book from this issue, and that's really saying something. Um, pretty much we're at the point in the story uh, where 
John and Susie's situation, what they can do is now is is bigger than they can handle. And Susie is feeling the need to share the knowledge of her ability with her friend. So now we're bringing uh, their friend Rachel into the fold. And John has been up to no good, basically snooping around where he doesn't belong and has created a whole new set of problems that I'm sure we'll be dealing with uh, within the second arc. And it's hilarious and it's great. And I, you know, I know everybody's picking it up. Buy another copy and give it to a friend because it is that amazing. Uh, and my other lightning round book is sadly something that's about to be canceled. It was just announced that the superior foes of Spider-Man from Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber is getting the axe. Uh, I believe next uh, issue number 15 is the last Steve Lieber said they expected to get six issues. They got 15. So from his end of things, he's very happy. Uh, for those of you that don't know what it is, it is Boomerang, Shocker, Speed Demon, Overdrive, and the new Beetle. All cre- all wrapped up in these interlocking capers that amount to a basically the Guy Ritchie film of Spider-Man books. <laughs> mm. And uh, our friend Ed the Hyena, um, Kelly Heron's uh, boyfriend, had mentioned that to me earlier, and it was perfect. It's one of the best books that you're not buying, and apparently people not buying it has gotten it canceled. So funny how that happens. When that yeah. comes out in trade, you guys, please, you want something funny, you want something light, and you want something that doesn't tie into other big stories, check out The Superior Foes of Spider-Man, the whole thing, not even just number 14, but the whole damn run. All right. Here, look at you. 14 seconds left. Ooh. I'm going to use those seconds to shut up <laughs> and let somebody else go. Um, yeah, I think the thing about Sex Criminals, it's the, the tone has kind of changed, uh, even though th- this, uh, this issue is very funny, the comedy has kind of shifted from, I don't know how to explain, like, kind of really, like, dirty John Hughes to more Woody Allen-ish. Ooh. You know, it's a little yeah. it's a little bit darker, there's a little more of an edge oh, to it. Oh, it's definitely darker. You know, it, it, it's a little more neurotic than it was before, where it was much more kind of, I think, um, forward-facing and and silly mm-hmm. uh this has a little more of a, an edge to it which uh, it's great i mean it's a great change up in tone keeping the humor but changing up the way the humor is delivered yeah i yeah. mean things are you know they're they've gotten serious in the book and i mean you read it right yeah okay so when when john comes home mm. with his arms filled with you know all of that stuff <laughs> that's a major mm. he's like he has just landed them in a whole heap of trouble and now somebody who's innocent is now probably going to get wrapped up in the whole thing. Right. Um, I got to say, though, epic, epic fight sequence. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. Holy, <laughs> I was, that was the other part where I was dying. Yeah, I, I, I laughed so much. I love that book. <laughs> I really do. I was, you're in a bad mood. You just sit down with sex criminals, and you, you know, you're walking on air when you're done. I don't know if you know this, Steve, but at the, for our kind of Skype session Last week, um, I said that we I I got into sex criminals because I went to the to the party the launch party at the this sex club. <laughs> that was my big introduction to sex criminals. <laughs> Seeing wow. Matt Fraction get his nipple pierced. <laughs> That's commitment. That is commitment. It's commitment to your craft, right there. Definitely. <laughs> Has that been a variant cover yet? <laughs> no, not, not yet. yet. Uh, okay. No, <laughs> but they did make a variant cover of a variant cover yeah. where there were two girls inside of a comic shop that took a photo 
of the photo of them <laughs> kind of doing that, like, you know, wholesome yeah, sit yeah. down, hands on the shoulders pose. And they just thought it was so great that they made another variant when it got, you know, moved to, I don't know, 17th printing and they threw it on there. Yeah, whatever it so is. So cool. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right, Nikki, you're going in the fire now, though. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. My okay, notes. lightning round. Three minutes, go. Okay, so I was going to talk about two books, but I realized I probably only have time for one. So I'm going with Batman Beyond 2.0, uh, issues 25 to 29, which is the current arc, Mark of the Phantasm. Writers are Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel. Artists are Tony Silas, Craig Russo, Phil Hester, Eric Gapster. Colorists are Guy Major and Nick Fillard. And uh, cover artists, Mateo Scalera and Moreno... Denisio. So time's up. Hey, <laughs> it's the it's the um, latest arc. It's not done yet, but it's about um, has the phantasm who you recognize from the animated series uh, or the movie um, Mask of the Phantasm, and it's Andrea Beaumont. Um, she is Bruce's ex fiance turned assassin, and she basically does what the Batman can't kills people, and her current target his. His name is Jake Chill, and he has connections with uh, the current Batman, um, current Batman's father, who was murdered, and which started his whole his whole Batman storyline. Spoilers Spoiler about alert. Batman. <laughs> it was the animated Sorry. series. I'm kidding. All I'm right, kidding. you're wasting my time. <laughs> but um, so it's about that, and it's also about Bruce's history with the Bat family and who Terry can trust um, and who uh, with Batman and with Dick and Babs. And there's this whole history that is kind of, it's intriguing, but also very disturbing. And if you know already what's happening, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, but I'm not going to spoil it. And it, it still leaves me iffy. I'm not totally sold on the series, but it's enough. It's worth checking out, especially if you're a fan of the animated series in general. So that is it. <laughs> You have another minute, so you want to talk about the other book? Um, sure. Uh, Genius, <laughs> uh, Image Comics. Uh, I've only read issues one and two, but the whole series is coming out um, this month. It's a mini series, and um, it's just basically. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate now. It's um, it's a gang war between well. A, gangs in LA versus the LAPD um, mm. and it's it's very exciting I put it as like a GTA kind of concept but with more depth and a lot less sexism so that's it <laughs> <laughs> I like that description I like it um, so it's genius yes and it's by Mark ben Bernardin and Adam Freeman okay. they're writers and the artist is Afua Richardson cool Awesome. And what was the Batman Beyond issue numbers? Uh, twenty-five to twenty-nine. The arc is the arc isn't done yet. I think. So. Gotcha. Are now, those is that the, the digital di numbers yes. or the print yes. numbers? Okay. Digital numbers. Yeah. I mean, once I, I guess they they print it the arc. I think all together when they print those those physical ones. I think so. Mm -hmm. Uh, they do trades of some of the longer ones. And uh, okay. I think they do print issues of two stories at a time, I think. Oh, because they're split, aren't they? They're beyond universe. They're yeah. not just Batman Beyond. Okay. Yeah. There were a lot of like okay. Batman Beyond stories, so I had to read everything just to catch up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and to, I guess the storyline was a, a flashback 
and then there was a flashback within that flashback. So mm. I was reading this arc because somebody told me about it, and then I realized I had to read the whole thing because I was just so lost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I had gotten some of those as a comicsology gift mm-hmm. where it had a new Batgirl, and Barbara Gordon was the police I loved that one. That one was amazing. Yeah. Um, Yes, they do some good stuff with those digital first books. With uh, Annie Wu was the artist for that. Yes, it was oh, gorgeous. Nice. nice. Um, yeah, Higgins kind of really gets that universe. It's obvious that he's a, a big fan of that series. Um, now, have you seen the animated, was it The Return of the Joker? Uh, yeah, that's, that's the Batman Beyond movie. Yeah, yeah, I just rewatched that recently. Still gives me shivers. It's really excellent. Yeah. Really, really excellent. I watched... Uh, Whoa! I watched Assault on Arkham mm-hmm. over this past week, and I really, really enjoyed it. I, yeah, it was the Suicide Squad. I just with, watched that. You know, it, did yeah, you like it? It was really fun. It was good, yeah. right? It was really cool. It was funny. It was really, really funny. It was action packed and a really great Harley and and Joker. Uh, Deadshot was pretty awesome as well. So yeah, anybody that wants that wants to check out the new D- uh, DC animated film, it is definitely worth oh, your good. time. Uh, an uptick after the last couple. Were yeah, I mean, underwhelming. The, yeah, it's 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 dark. It's it's you know it's it's a little violent, but it's fun. It's a go. lot of fun, yeah. and it's uh, some of the edits to it and the presentation of it, especially within like the first half hour, the setup of the whole thing. Oh, yeah, is the- ripped right out of the comics, and it's like super sleek and stylish and and kind of like i mentioned the guy ricci thing before mm. it had like a snatch or lock stock to smoking barrels vibe to it oh, cool check that out cool yeah. um yeah I, actually, I didn't even like go live and look for it because i was so disappointed with the last couple that i just my excitement i used to be so excited every time a new one would come out i would want to watch it first day and i just didn't feel that for this one it was just it was sitting there it was a digital download and i saw that it was i was looking at the description and i'm like this is the Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. and I've been looking for a good Suicide Squad something for pretty much since we started this. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, it's it's a good time. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be your favorite DC movie. It might even be a little bit much for some, but I laughed my ass off the entire time. Cool, awesome, yep, awesome. All right, Bob, you ready for some lightning round? Sure. All right, here we go, and lightning round, go. First off, I wrote a review for this, but just to mention here, Batgirl 34, which is the last regular issue by Gail Simone, finishes off the Nightfall arc. It's really got a lot of great stuff in it, but it is still sort of bittersweet because it's it's the end. <laughs> Can I tell you, read? real quick, that was my favorite book I read this week. Oh, you go. Uh, what wasn't my favorite book of the week is Fantastic Four number eight, which proudly on the cover where it used to say, world's greatest comic magazine now says Marvel's premier dysfunctional family. <laughs> Does it really? Yes, it does. And, I mean, it's, you not, know, it's a quote from... It's someone. a quote from Newsarama. Yeah. Uh, look, it, it, it's better than it has been. There was nearly 12% of a moment there. <laughs> uh, Harley Quinn number nine, which is, which is really great. Harley takes a spot in the old burly queue. She gets a job in the burlesque and with predictably bad results. And so her subsequent arrest for assault goes to some very unexpected places, including dinner with a super fan named Ed, who has an interesting basement. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll leave it at that. I'm trying to tease here, you know? What I won't tease about is Red Sonya number 11, Gail Simone, Walter Giovanni. Her quest to retrieve those artisans for the Emperor Samala. Yeah. Gonna, she's going to free all those slaves. Those thousand slaves, I think it is. Nearly over, Red Sonya learns a great lesson in courage here from a jailed astronomer. 
who refuses to be let go because he doesn't want to recant his beliefs about the sun and the earth and all this sort of stuff. So you get all that sort of stuff. There's plenty of action and swordplay and there's soup. (laughs) (laughs) You do the best lighting. Uh, Nightcrawler number five, Chris Claremont, Todd Nock, uh, Rachel Rosenberg on covers, which is just amazing. This is a take a breath issue, which is kind of nice. And Nikki, because you like the old X-Men stuff, here we have... X-Men Baseball making a return, both flashbacks to the old and the new with the new kids. Lots of stuff in the danger room. We're building moments with these new kids. Just a heck of a lot of fun. This is, it's not going to be for everybody because Chris Claremont, who's just one of my all-time favorite comic book writers, he's he's a little old-fashioned, but it's brilliant. Reading captions and long passages, and it so sells the relationships between these characters and little moments where there's a note from Storm. Yep. To Kurt. This is just, I'm so glad he's back writing and not being paid not to write. It's just really beautiful. I hope people check it out. And what's my time here, boss? Oh, my goodness. Um, you probably have, you have 30 seconds. I have 30 seconds to talk about a movie I watched this week that I got. It's a Criterion, a movie called Judex, directed by Georges Franjou. <laughs> and it's based on a 1916 French serial. And this character is a prototypical superhero. It's set in the 20s. He has TV and stuff, but he's the shadow. Slouch hat, mask, all sorts of cool stuff. Just came out on Criterion. Of course, called Judex. Georges Franju also did Eyes Without a Face, for those who remember mm-hmm. that from the 50s. And I'm done. And you... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. This is amazing to witness. It. Perfect timing. I really don't know. It really is. It's a masterclass in the lightning round. I either cut mine short out of fear or I go way over or I steal another 30 seconds after I'm supposed to be done. Um, all right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, all right. I'll go my lightning round and go. My lightning round is a little bit cheap because I'm only going to do one book. Um, <laughs> Because I didn't, I didn't read a ton uh, this week, and but one thing I did do is Batman number thirty-four, which is our first um, post-zero oh, year yeah. issue, and what has become kind of tradition, right, with the Snyder stuff, which is in between these giant arcs, we have one, two, or three, um, sing, like kind of single one-off issues that tell little stories before we jump into the next big arc. Um, here, uh, Batman number thirty-four, it's Scott Snyder and Jerry Dugan who plotted the book jerry dugan actually wrote the book and mateo scalera is the artist um on the book um first of all i mateo scalera's art is gorgeous yeah um amazing i I, it's it reminds me of actually another book i'm gonna be talking about later um in my actual books of the week um very kind of i think 70s 80s type of batman look to it um really great stuff beautiful scary intimidating um the story itself is it's about a, a killer on the loose uh, who is picking off um, patients of mm-hmm. this psychiatrist, and the, the the idea of it is that Batman this thing is like you know there's so much stuff going on and it kind of catches if you have if you haven't been reading Eternal it kind of goes like here's what's going on in the modern Batman universe that we've been away from for all for 12 months um, here we go him is like there's so much crazy stuff happening that I that I become to forget a little bit about the ins and outs and and of the city. And so this is about like, it's a small self-contained detective story where he's trying to figure out what happened and what's going on. Um, great detective stuff, engaging, really fun to see everything kind of wrap up in, in one issue. Um, not used to it. So I I think when I first read it, it feels, it feels quick to me. 
Uh, but it, it, in the end, I, I really enjoy. I, I read it. I can be like, this is a great little story. I could give this to somebody and be like, here, here's a Batman story. It's not even mm-hmm. you don't have to be reading anything before it or after it. It fits very, very nicely into that piece. I think that um, uh. You know, I, I, it's interesting um, him saying that's kind of setting up Arkham Manor because it doesn't really do that. I, I don't, I don't think. I mean, it it gives you an idea of there's problems going on at Arkham, and so maybe this is why things are going to expand. Um, but it doesn't isn't directly addressed uh, in this. Uh, there is a really cool thing. The, the killer is a, a certain mo that he that he goes by and that he likes to like kind of live his identity by. And Batman, as Batman wants to do, completely blows it up in his face and the, the the kind of the ultimate punishment he gives him uh at the end i think is a very smart clever end to this story yeah uh i thought it was really good you know i think that it's a nice like you were saying about <clears throat> um God, what book you're talking about the breather issue uh, a nightcrawler 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 uh you talk about so many books they just yeah. go uh, oh yeah uh it's, it's a breather issue you know it, it's a nice way to go okay, okay we have to, i don't have to worry about like Where's the Riddler right now? What's going on? I can just enjoy a Batman story. So it was really good. Final page was pretty devastating. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, they're like, oh, you know, we don't know what's going to be what. You will. Yeah. You will. It's, now, it, the split writing, did that all work, do you think? Yeah, really? definitely, because it, it's... it's um, Snyder is writing the plot just with Dugan. Okay. Dugan is doing all the scripting. So it definitely has one cohesive voice throughout the right. entire book. Dugan's on... But Deadpool, right? Yeah, he does Deadpool. Yeah. I think he also does Nova, I believe, cool. um, over at Marvel. So he's going to be doing Arkham Manor kind of full-time. So. Oh, so perfect way to get him. Yeah, that's why they did it. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool to know. Yeah, and it also gives Snyder a little bit of a breather. They can start catching up with the, with the endgame stuff they're going to be working on. Um, I don't this, – this coming one, the five years later one, I don't think he's writing it. I don't think he has anything to do with it. And I, I know Greg Capullo isn't on it either. Um, so I don't know what it's going to be. Uh, and then um, I think Snyder, I might be wrong. Snyder might be involved in it, but I think what he said was they'll be back in with thirty-five uh, to start the new mm-hmm. the new arc. I think most of those books are I don't want to say fill in teams because they're not because mm-hmm. it's fill forward right in a way. <laughs> but I think it's about a quarter of them are actually by the real teams. There are a few more that are the writers, right? And the rest are sort of. Yeah, well, let's get this month together. Yeah. Let's get some people who want to tell stories. Yeah. I, well, it seems it seems like to me though is that I don't think that um, Snyder at least minds it because it it allows Capullo to get ahead yeah. on the other stuff to to you know for the for the big arcs they're going to do. So re- it was really enjoyable. It, it's it was a really fun. If you're a person who maybe ha- hasn't been reading Batman, you know, you jumped in late. They're in the middle of arcs. This is a good one to pick up and kind of get a sense of. It's not exactly what you're, you'd be getting in the monthly Batman book because it's not Capullo and it's not Snyder on complete writing duties, but it is a great Batman story and something I think that people could pick up and read and, and get a tone for what, what's to come. Um, and, I, and I really hope that Matteo Scalera does more Gotham Batman stuff because it's really, really great. Really, really great. He's popping up a lot this year. He is. He is. Uh, all right, so that's Batman number 34. All right, let's go on to Books of the Week. Sweet. Steve, lay it on us. Yeah. Ah, uh, so as you know, a while back we started the Talking Games podcast, and I had gone spoiler-free for more than a year on the game The Last of Us. I was very, very proud of myself <laughs> for avoiding all of the spoilers wow. that uh, that came with that game. And I just recently, I played it all the way through, uh, finished the DLC and just absolutely, I miss it. I shed some tears just at the idea of not being able to play anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And then I remembered, hey, wait a minute, Stephanie, several months back, talked about a book called The Last of Us, American Dreams, which is actually written by Neil Druckmann, who is the writer of The Last of Us game. Mm -hmm. So it's written by Neil Druckmann and Faith Aaron Hicks from The Adventures of Superhero Girl. Uh, Art by Faith Aaron Hicks, colors by Rochelle uh, Rosenberg, letters by Clem Robbins, and cover uh, cover and chapter break art by Julian Totino Tedesco. Nicely done. I hope I got that right. I think I did. I think so. Um, Just got Faith Aaron Hicks wrong. (laughs) So what this is, is um, it's a prequel to all of the events that, whether it be the DLC or the actual game, this is the story of how Ellie and her friend Riley came to meet one another and kind of how their friendship forms. And it's um, just if you've played the game, it gives you a lot more of a look into their world and kind of what the world was like before the events of the game and just how they go to school and how the militarized zones work and stuff like that. Uh, We got a little bit more of who the Fireflies are in this book, and uh, it's just a wonderful companion for anybody that's played the games. I don't know that I would recommend it outside of who played the games because this is a prequel that deals directly with content that comes later in the game whether it be the the regular game or the dlc uh this is addressing that stuff directly but it is a sweet little story if you want like a quick four issue thing and you like these creators faith aaron hicks does wonderful stuff with the art she's a a brilliant writer and a brilliant artist of just two girls being thrown into this kind of apocalypse brought on by this infection and the whole world has gone to crap and what what are you to do when you're in your early teens and you need to survive and you don't really have parents and you feel like you want to help. You want to be a part of, you know, the good guys. You want to help cleanse the infection. So how do you earn your spot in that group? How do you how do you do that? That's what this book is about. So like I said, if you played the game, this is an absolute read. If you want more stuff from The Last of Us, it's as official as it gets. And it's fantastic. A really, really fun read. And uh, my other book is actually something that Bobby brought up on the podcast not too long ago, which is The Bunker. Oh, you got The the Trade, right? Yeah, man. I only, I've only read the first issue. Ooh. It's good? I might have to let you Yeah, go. I want to read you it. you want to borrow this? Yeah, I do really badly. Yeah, this is some serious stuff. This is by, uh, written by Joshua Helfialkov with art by Joe Infernari. Like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Uh, for people that don't know what The Bunker is, it's it's the story. I'll give you the setup. Five friends go out into the woods and they decide that they're going to make a time capsule. They're going to bury it. And, you know, they'll go back 20 years later, whatever, and they'll pick it up. They'll have a laugh. Turns out that when they put the shovel into the ground, they hit metal on metal. What the hell is that? They brush some dust over, a la lost. They find that there's a bunker uh, built beneath the ground. And on the outside of the bunker are all of their names except for one. Billy's name is missing. Why is that? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to read the book to find out. Um, So they discover this bunker and they're like, I don't understand. How is this here if we're just doing this today? Basically, they open the bunker and they find just books upon books and specifically letters that are addressed to each of them. So they each take their own respective letters and they open them. And it turns out that the letters are from themselves addressed to themselves and it's all about events that will take place in the future. Comes to comes to find out that these five people are pretty much solely responsible for just an apocalypse of events, um, whether it be viral, whether it be through the food, through the water system, 
one of them each plays a part in pretty much the end of the world. The only catch is, is that all the horrible crap that happens has to happen because if it doesn't happen, something even worse will happen as a result. So you enter this story where you have five different personalities and they're all kind of crazy within their own rights and kind of rambunctious. Some of them are scientists, some of them are journalists and so on. And now they find out that by some way, circumstance or otherwise, that they're responsible for killing hundreds of millions of people. How did this happen? So there's little clues inside the letters and they come to find out these are the significant events and they have to go down just like this. If you deviate from the plan, it things will be even worse. Even though it seems bad, you got to do it. If you know, a couple thousand people are going to die, you have to let them die. But you need to be there and you need to do this and you need to rescue X amount of people. How do you make that kind of decision? Like, how do you, how are you there? How are you able to prevent something where you can get them to evacuate or you can go to the press, you can go to the police, but in order to get these events to happen, you need to stand there and watch it Mm -hmm. and just watch all this horrible crap happen around you. Really, really, really intriguing plot with every issue. It just gets deeper and deeper and it gets to the point where if you really think about it, if you found a note from yourself and you knew like unequivocally that it was you, whether it be the voice of the letter, the handwriting, whatever, are you really these people that you've trusted through your whole childhood and into your, your latter life? Do you trust them because you love them and been through things or do you trust yourself mm-hmm. or is the future you lying to you about what you should or should not do? It gets really complicated, but it all comes across in a super, super smooth way. Uh, Joshua Helfialkov does a really good job of putting all of the complexity of the book in. He delivers it in such a manner that it flows really well, and it's easy to follow, and it's easy to move along from character to character and time to time, because there is a lot of jumping from here to there. But like I said, it's super smooth. And just one more word about Joe's artwork, Joe, um, in Fernari. There's kind of this like perpetual absence of color throughout the book. There is color. It is not black and white. But he uses color in a way that all of the like focal points, like all the stuff that's in the foreground or all of the major action sequences are super colored up. And he uses different colors as emotions. So if somebody's sad, you'll get lots of like, deep, you know, since, pale so pinks and purples and blues. And um. <laughs> if there's explosions, you get harsh reds and oranges. Um. And, you know, if there's like somebody jealous of somebody or suspicious of somebody, the whole room gets tinged in green. And it just it brings you visually and mentally, you start to apply different emotions to different colors. And as you move through the book with these different colors, you feel different as you're reading the book. Um, really, really awesome way to tell a story uh, through the artwork and not just uh, what's written on the page. So, awesome. yeah, I really, I can't recommend it enough. It's called The Bunker. Uh, it's from Oni Press. And yeah, science fiction madness. Only four issues, and this thing is beefy. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. Is it a miniseries or is it a continuing? It's a continuing. They're on, uh, this is only four issues in here. I believe they're uh, issue number seven. 
just hit uh, shelves last week or the week before. Okay. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's continuing. I mean, they leave you with a cliffhanger and a half <laughs> at the end of this. It's one of those open up the door and, oh, shit, <laughs> and then the book is over. Mm. Uh, and lots of really cool extras uh, in the back as well with uh, covers and variant covers and sketches and little notes about, you know, how it all came to be and profiles and stuff like that, um, ads for other books and such, just totally, totally worth your money. Only $19.99. Um, brilliant stuff. I really, I wish, part of me wishes that I was collecting this individually, but having it all in a lump like this and reading it as one thing, uh, I think really delivered. So yeah, The Bunker. Awesome. Good stuff. Here you go. All right, cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, I'm a it. sucker for stuff like that. The I, idea I think of really one, one little change makes everything go really really badly it's you know you have you have a job to do you're responsible for this but if you don't do this if you don't st- you have to stand by you have to let this person die even if it's a child mm-hmm. you can't move mm-hmm. but you need to stand there because you need to be there you need to witness it you need to understand for what's going to come later but i i can't tell you what it is just yet and i'm you mm-hmm. so it gets really it gets very cerebral and it just it asks you like you know who do you trust more than yourself you know you know your own limitations you could talk all you want but when it comes down to it will you or will you not act you know you're the only person mm-hmm. that knows that yeah absolutely and then how do you feel if you find out that the other person knew about this shit and didn't do anything mm-hmm. how do you then feel about them yeah so really good stuff awesome well for let me just throw in what if people pick up on that the IDW Harlan Ellison's Star Trek City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. That episode is in that ballpark. Sweet. And there are two issues into that. There's certainly all the Twilight Zones that we both loved. Yeah, it sounds okay. like a Twilight Zone episode. Well, there was, there yeah, was one where uh, Russell Johnson, no less, went back in time to try to stop the assassination of Lincoln. Mm. And it's a Twilight Zone, so I'll just leave it at that. But. <laughs> I'm sure it goes wonderfully for him. Yeah. <laughs> no complications. Uh, look, Lincoln gets assassinated. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Aside from that, how'd you like the play, Mrs. Lincoln? That's the old joke. Four score and seven dimensions ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I think, Nikki, it's your turn. All right. Um, what do you got for us? So first on the list is um, Hexed uh, from Boom Studios. It's by Michael Allen Nelson, and the art is by... Dan Mora and the colors by Gabriel Casada. And um, I was just reading up on it today, but I had no idea that this, the first Hex series, I didn't, I had no idea. I thought this was the number one. But the first Hex series was Emma Rios's first, uh, first American comic that she's done. Oh, wow. So um, that, and that's probably why she's done the cover one of the covers, um, which is absolutely beautiful. And it's basically, I'm going to read the description here. Um, Lucy Jennifer Inacio das Neves, most people just call her Lucifer, is a supernatural thief for hire, stealing wondrous objects from the dark denizens of the, of the netherworld for her mentor slash mother figure, Val Bressendine. But when Lucifer accidentally unleashes a terrible evil from one of the paintings hanging in Val's art gallery, will any of the tricks up her sleeve be enough to stop it? So it's basically uh, a kind of Lara Croft 
character. Um, her name just happens to be Lucifer, which I think is awesome. <laughs> um, and it's it's Lara Croft, but with this with a lot of supernatural elements to it. And it's very. I mean, if you're expecting Emma Rios's art style in in the interiors, you're not gonna really get that. And I was looking at um, the interiors for the first uh, Hex series that she did do, and it's the colors aren't quite the same as what we're used to with Emma Rios. So it's very much in in keeping with uh, like the first in this series. The colors are much the same. It's a very it's a lot cleaner. We might have lost her. Uh oh. <laughs> the colors were a lot cleaner, and then she was gone. Let's see what happened. Donna, Donna, Donna. Oh, she's still connected. Oh, wait, there we go. That's what always happens. Hello. See, this is what I'm afraid of when I pipe people into the As, talking games. Hello? Oh. Did I lose you guys? Yeah, hi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you definitely did. Okay, where did you look? You said the colors were a lot cleaner, and then you were gone. Okay, the colors are a lot cleaner, and it's it's a really cool thing because she deals with supernatural um, elements, and you're dealing with uh, she, she in the first scene she's um, stealing a painting, and at one point she can go inside the painting, and the colors switch from this clean style to a more like you feel like you're inside the painting. Um, uh, yeah, and that impressed me a lot. And the fact that I had no idea that this was the second series, I guess, the second incarnation of this, um, this series, uh, really, really, it's, it's what a number one should be, I guess. Um, just. So were you surprised that you didn't have to know? things prior like did you did you read the last series no i had no idea that um uh, that there was a last series and that emma rios did that and now i'm really interested in reading the first series <laughs> so um yeah i'm now looking to forward to picking that up if i can find it um i didn't realize that she was on that book she's on the she was saying she's on the first arc not this oh, okay. Yeah. Now. Oh, okay cool yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely a great, um, it was a blind buy for me. I, I saw the cover and I knew that Emma Rios did that cover. Uh, so that's what hooked me in. Um, and it was great. It had action. It, it told you, um, it, ex- it had a lot of exposition, but it didn't like overload you with it. And there was enough of a hook at the end that it'll definitely keep me reading, um, the series. Um, so I definitely recommend this. Awesome. Well, having seen her art on both, obviously pretty deadly and the Dr. Strange mini that, mm. with Mark Wade. So good. Perfect for that sort of yeah, story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's hexed, right? Yeah. Hexed by Michael Allen Nelson and it's boom studios. I'm really impressed with boom, Stu- boom studios. Um, I've been reading a lot more of their stuff now. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, them and Kaboom have been putting out some really awesome stuff. Well, they're the same. Is it the same? Yeah, I think yeah, Kaboom, is, kid Kaboom, line. Kaboom is their kid line. That makes total sense. <laughs> I feel like, can we edit this? I feel like such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I'm I supposed like to Boom be the, I, and Kaboom. <laughs> come on, man. 
it should sue. <laughs> I can't be expected. No, no, I'm kidding. No, that is sad. I'm gonna uh, when the show's over. I'm gonna flog myself. All right. Um, like a member of Opus Day. <laughs> I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> I, really I can move on to my second book so we can distract from. Please do that. the embarrassment. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so my second one is Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. I don't know if you guys had the chance to check this out. I have not, mm-hmm. no. no. Uh, okay, so Emily Carroll is, uh, she's she's mainly done webcomics, I think. Uh, her site is www.mcarroll, E-M-C-A-R-R-O-L-L.com. And um, it's, it's a, I guess it's a series, okay, five mysterious spine-tingling stories follow journeys into and out of the eerie abyss. Come take a walk into the woods and see what awaits you there. And um, her style is definitely, it's, it's pretty scary, but not, not outright. A lot of these stories, they're, they're, they're all self-contained, but they all start out like with the grim fairy tale kind of thing where you kind of think there's a moral to the story, but mm. it kind of leaves you unsettled by the end and you don't really know how you feel about it and I think that's where the horror comes from um just really really great and I think the first time I read them I wasn't really that scared and then I'd read them again and really look at it and then I would be really freaked out (laughs) (laughs) so um I guess I always appreciate those uh those stories where you can reread them and I I didn't get I didn't get any more answers. I just kept on getting more and more unsettled, which um, I'm not a fan of horror in any other medium but comics. (laughs) So um, for me to keep reading this is actually pretty amazing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What what is it about the horror that you don't like? About horror in general? Yeah, horror in general. pretty much a wimp. (laughs) Ah, okay. So, um, but for some reason, comics, in comics, it just really intrigues me. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little, I mean, I, I think that it's harder to be scary, right, in in, a, in comic book form. Um, just like it's very hard to be scary in novel form as well, but I think it's easier because everything in a novel is kind of internalized in a way. You've created your own scare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're imagining what's happening and, and, you know, it builds within yourself. And with comics, I think it's tough because they can show you really ghastly imagery you know, but it's a big part of horror, I think, is pacing, just like comedy. That's I think it, it, precisely and, what it was. Like, I could pace it myself, I guess. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I think you, you, you in a comic, you, can, you, can, you kind of define your own pace mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, and because the imagery is shown to you, no matter how scary it is, it's still someone else's idea of something that's very scary. It's not you know, in your, in your head, how scary it is. Like you're reading a novel. Mm -hmm. And of course with movies, you're not in control of what's happening. You're being pushed forward by a narrative. So you can't control what people are doing. And then honestly, I think the scariest of scary is video game scary because you literally have to do it. You, you you (laughs) know, when you're watching a scary movie, you can be like, I'm going to close my eyes while the person walks down the hall and does the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. When you're playing a video game, 
no, no, you got to make him go down the hall. You know, when you're like, don't go in that door. No, you have to open the door and walk into it. And so because you have to force it forward, it's really terrifying because you feel almost like the person that you're pushing mm-hmm. forward. Um, you know, there's very few comics I've read that have that have actually kind of scared me. The ones that have creeped me out and ones that I think have really good atmosphere. But as far as scares yeah. go, I, I don't know if I can point to one. No, I agree with you. It's got to be about mood setting. Yeah. And then you're eventually, just as Nikki says, creeped out by it. Mm-hmm. You, you get to a certain point where, oh, I'm so immersed in this. And you can take a left turn. It's not a jump scare the way there is in a horror movie. Right. But it's that, oh, I didn't expect Afterlife with Archie that yeah. penultimate page. Yeah, yes. No, didn't expect that. The old creepy eeries or the Skywalt mm-hmm. horror mood sort of things. It was always, or the ECs. Set up, set up, set up, left turn. Right. But you gotta you have to set that mood and it is so important. It's very easy to just draw monsters. Yeah. Not gonna work. Not gonna be the same. It's gonna be fun. Look at that cool monster. Yeah. That's it's great. That's not scary. There's some things in Lock and Key that I think were pretty scary. And I think that that book Colder that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, you um, thought that was real scary. That's pretty scary. There's that that creature is really scary. It's got sort of like that insidious type of movie vibe to the to the character, but um, has anybody been reading uh, Nailbiter? Yep, I have as well. Um, yeah, that third issue, uh, the scene in the morgue, where it's just like a series of panels, and but every other panel there'd be the lights are out, so you won't see anything. Yeah, and then yeah. like a figure would come in. I, I, it didn't scare me, but it it was really well done. I. Yeah, no, it's that was definitely you're absolutely that was a creepy scene. Mm-hmm. I got the little bit of like the tightness yeah, in the yeah, chest. Yeah, you get that effect well, I, without that without like I think it's a little bit muted, but you still yeah. feel it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, when you get the tickle, <laughs> the little tickle yeah, in your yeah, chest, you know, yeah. where you're like, oh my God, something scary is happening. <laughs> and it comes on you like all of a sudden. It's like any other big emotion. It's like, you know, when you, oh, when you get emotional all of a sudden or any of it, it just, you know, it, it hits you. And you, uh, it's, it's something that's. Well, the comic, you can put it down though, at least. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll go get a drink. I'll come back to this. <laughs> yeah. it, more sunlight. You can be like uh, Joey and Friends and throw the shining in the freezer when he doesn't want to. <laughs> It's too scary. There's an episode of Friends where really? he's the shining gets everybody gets scared. He throws it in the freezer <laughs> for some reason. Um, wow, the movie or the book or both? Uh, the book, the book. Uh, he's got a big freezer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not one of his bigger books. So that's one of like his normal size books. Yeah, it's only about 450 pages. Yeah, yeah, yep. it's not a thousand pages. Um, so, but th- we totally just have the conversation uh, through the woods. Uh, Emily Carroll. Um, is it just kind of the the art that makes it um, scary to you, or is there something about the story that's also the stories? The story, like I said, it's it's very much grim fairy tales, but very abrupt mm-hmm. in most of their conclusions, and gotcha. um, and the coloring, like as we were saying with the panels, the coloring is just amazing and really sets the the atmosphere for like there'd be a series of the same images. Uh, in like panels and one would be red and you know that like a gunshot would uh, had happened and like it's just the way that it's done kind of it chills you a little bit so it's very very um just unsettling as i said cool awesome (laughs) I, it, it's interesting. That's not, I, I, I want to pick it up. Now. Uh, you can check. I think a lot of her, these stories are on her website. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm checking it right now. Yes. Some of them are on her website. Um, but yes, I definitely recommend it. I had to put it out there cause it, she's from London, Ontario. So 
Um, I um, Canadians always looking to push their own buttons. Yes. <laughs> what can I say? Now, <laughs> now, her name sounds familiar. Would we know her from something? Or maybe it's Stephanie has spoken about her. Stephanie might have spoken about her before. Um, Nikki, is there a book out she has that we might know? A she larger... did The Witching Hour I, I, for Vertigo. Oh. I think she did one of the stories yes, there. That's oh, right. she had a story in there. That's yes, right. That's okay. it. That that's was it. one of our favorite single issues. Yeah, that was year. awesome. Yeah, that was an awesome, awesome collection. Um, did you read that? No, I don't think I picked that up. It's really good. And if, and if you like scary stuff in comics, it's definitely one to pick up. Uh, really, really good stuff in that one. Yeah. Um, awesome. Awesome. Awesome picks. Um, Bob, what do you got for us? We are going to begin with Captain Marvel number six, uh, Kelly Sudaconic, David Lopez, Lee Lowridge, and Joe Caramagna. <laughs> May! Yeah, do it every week. <laughs> We are, this is the last, well, not necessarily, she's still, Carol's still in space, but it's, it's the last part of this story that we've begun with this new relaunch. And let me just begin with our first real page here. It's, it's Captain Marvel flying over this planet. The sparkle fists are going. She looks rather grim. And the cap, long caption, not so long, I'll read it fast. My name is Captain Marvel. I am an Earthling and an Avenger. Today I stand as one with the settlers of Torfa who claim this planet and its resources as they were freely given in the aftermath of the behemoth disaster. They are a peaceful people, people, but I am a woman of war. If you move against them, you move against me. I am willing to die here today for this cause. I have made my choice. And you see her just flying off into the middle of this armada that's on the cover of the issue now. From that opening, you can tell that her for, first foray into diplomacy hasn't really gone very well, or at least not as well as you've expected. But you've got the Emperor Jason, who's double-dealing everyone, as he tends to do, and stuff has to happen. Great battle sequences, yet there's a split focus between those battles and what's happening on the planet's surface and on another ship in the galaxy. So you get a, a feel for the, the stakes here. There's a, an entire planet of people who need this help and need this Avenger who they've sort of dismissed as being ineffectual, including the leader of the planet. And yet, through all this, no matter how many times she's going to get knocked down, Carol Danvers does what's right. There's an amazing finale to how this battle all works that I won't spoil exactly <laughs> as she does something really pretty amazing. Between Kelly Sue's words, David Lopez's art is just so ultra-expressive. The facial expressions are so amazing. You know every second what everyone's thinking. And whether it's humorous, determination, wistfulness. There's a lovely moment between Jackie and uh, her new friend, who I'll just leave it at that. We don't want to spoil that, too. Just book has been really solid all the way through. I certainly miss some of the Earthbound folks. I miss Kit and her mom and all those people, but I think they'll be back eventually. She, Carol's heading home. This, the last panel here is really amazing. It'll make you smile at least twice if you look closely. <laughs> There's one. There are two little additions. One, I've been informed, was in the script. Another is not, and it's hysterical for those who are reading Avengers Assemble back in the old days. So that's Captain Marvel number six. Is anybody else? Yeah, I read Steve's it. His, I'm catching here. up. I read it. Um, yeah. I really, I mean, I always enjoy Captain Marvel. I've gone through this this arc. I did enjoy it. You put it so much more eloquently uh, than I ever could. I really think I enjoyed the first run a little bit better than this. Mm-hmm. Um, her being away and her being on on the cosmic thing. I miss her interacting. I miss her interactions with 
other heroes and such. I didn't really connect with the planet and the people mm-hmm. that she was fighting for. I love I love that Captain Marvel continues to stand for something and pretty much for everything, for everything that's right. And she's looking to, you know, make the galaxy safe and she cares about people. And as many times as she's pretty much ordered away from this situation saying, you know, you're only going to make things worse. She is determined to be a part of the solution. That aspect of it, I really, really loved. Um, but if I'm being honest, I, some of the art choices, color-wise, I thought were a little bit harsh. When she's on planet, the yellows kind of like mm-hmm. everything's drenched in that yellow. It kind of, it kind of got to me a little bit. Um, but like I said, the the character, which is the important part here, the character retains that heart and that determination, mm-hmm. and that is two only two reasons among the many that I will always, you know love kelly sue's captain marvel she just she she is this character and and i love seeing it on the page um i just i am looking forward to her kind of getting into to mix it up with some some characters that i know i wasn't i I would like to have like brought somebody away from me from this arc and Mm -hmm. from this story and i didn't find myself aside from carol taking away any new characters that i would like to see continue throughout the series i'm kind of waiting for her to move on from them and go and do something else. Okay. I'd like to see some more of Tick. You know, she was cool, girl. but I felt like they, she got locked away with the rest, and it was weird. Like, we got a lot of, like, diplomacy stuff and a lot of, like, on-ground politic stuff within the last two issues. There wasn't... The parts with Captain Marvel were really solid, but they were kind of peppered throughout. It was more about the people and I just didn't connect with, mm-hmm. with the race and with, with that planet as much as I would have liked to, especially after waiting for this to come back. Um, like I said, all the heart and all the determination and spirit of the character is there. That's why I pick it up every month. And that's why I still love the book. I just want to, I want to bring some other characters back into the fold because I love more than anything is her interactions with those characters. I laugh a lot when I read this book and how she brings out the best in other people. And she led the team during infinity. Like she was Cap's second in command. That's like, that's my Carol Danvers. So those are my elongated thoughts. All right. Nikki, how about you? Um, I, I need to reread the whole thing. Cause reading, re- reading it month to month, I kind of got lost, but I think I'm, I'm a little bit more on Steve's side of things. I didn't really connect with uh, a lot of the new characters, um, and I, I think I just kind of miss the her her family of characters in the first uh, first run. So, gotcha. But I do feel like I guess people of who've who've watched Guardians of the Gal- Galaxy who kind of want like, that same space adventure and uh, really fun mm-hmm. dialogue might really like this if they haven't already tried Captain Marvel. So. Well, I think that's what they were hoping yeah. for. Yeah, into yeah. the Guardians book and moving in that direction with this character for the new storyline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely yeah. what they're going for. I mean, um, I'm a few issues behind. I'm I'm trying to read things more in bundles now than I was before. Um, and this is one of those books I just want to read in, in a bundle. So now this is the end of the first arc, right? Yeah. Okay. There's going to be a reconnect with the Guardians, I think. Okay. We're, we're moving toward... Right. Okay, so great. So that, that means I'm gonna I'll catch up with this one probably this week yeah. or next week. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that 
I think the relaunch is obvious because they wanted to get more people in to reading it. They they wanted to people who might have missed it because it kind of came out right before mm-hmm. the I, I, right before I think we started to see kind of the the changeover to them focusing more and more on female led books. And I mean it was it was de- definitely the the catalyst I think for that change. Uh, I think much in the way that uh, Daredevil was kind of the catalyst for the lighter tone to start coming back into the into the other Marvel books. So. I, that's, I think it's obvious the reason for the, the relaunch. It's tough because we came off of the end of Captain Marvel, which that last issue of, the, of that first run is so fantastic. Yeah. It's so emotional. And, and, and that would be the high point of, of most comic runs ever. And then you have to come out and you have to start it over again. And, and you have to leave behind a lot of the characters that made it so emotional and so right. engaging. And I think it's tough. And, and not only are you doing that, you're really staking out completely on your on, on your own with not many characters anybody knows like these are new characters in, in a lot of sense so there's no immediate connection so you have to build a connection so there's a lot of weight on the shoulders of the book i think jumping out this way uh i do think that they found the perfect artist for it i think david lopez mm-hmm. is absolutely perfect uh for the book so i'm glad about that and i i hope that it continues i wish they released digital sales numbers because i would love to see what this book sells digitally compared to what it sells physically hmm uh, because like we talked about last week, the reports are that Ms. Marvel sells more digitally than it does physically. Um, so, I I, that. so, right. So if that's selling 36, yeah, physical, 36,000 physical copies, you now you're a book that's in the eighties. Yeah. And I, I wonder if Captain Marvel is similar to that. Wouldn't doubt it. This is in the middle, high middle twenties, you know, it's right. like 26, yeah. 27, somewhere in there. So yeah, could still be 50, yeah. which isn't a bad number. No, not at all. All right. What's up? What's next, up next up, Bob? Next up is the oldest book that has ever been discussed on this program. Just saying something. <laughs> Which is saying something. This came about because there was an email among of us, and someone has put out the idea of the great slugfest in comic history. And so I was, I'm a list maker. <laughs> so what we have here is it's a story that starts in Marvel Mystery Comics number eight, takes up the lead story in number nine, and finishes in number 10. And that's from. June to August of 1940. There you go. There we go. Now, I don't have the original. When Bob was 17. Nearly so. Nearly so. Now, I don't have the original here. Normally, I do. No, sorry. I only own one Golden Age book, and it's a coverless Submariner. I don't even know what issue it is because there's no (laughs) markings. (laughs) And the, the records for back then are terrible. But this is a reprint they did for Marvel's 65th anniversary in 2004. So it's available for, I don't know, $4 or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's recolored. Actually, it's available for four ninety nine, and recolored nicely and on much better paper. What we have in issue eight, it was really interestingly done. You see the Submariner is on the rampage because, as usual, we've thrown depth charges and blown up some of Atlantis. So he comes to New York, throwing their depth charges back, blowing up the harbor, wrecking subway tunnels, letting all the animals out of the zoo, Destroys the George Washington Bridge, which was two years old at that point. <laughs> not, it, it needs some spackle <laughs> at this point. It's sort of a mess. And that story is done by the Submariner's creator, Bill Everett. Submariner was actually created before Marvel Comics 1. It was for a giveaway, a black and white giveaway called Motion Picture Funnies. <laughs> so it's actually, he's the first Marvel hero in a way. And they sold that package to Mar- Martin Goodman and blah, blah. I'm digressing. <laughs> the second half of issue eight is the same story told from the Torch's standpoint as he tries to stop the Submariner, flies after him, fixes what's gone wrong. That's by Carl Burgess, who created the Human Torch. 
at the end they meet on top of the bridge and then it's dun, 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 you know wait till wait till next issue because it's 22 pages of sizzling blazing action <laughs> the battle of the comic century as the the elements meet for the first time that comics then were 64 pages so wow. this is the first story of an issue that had five other stories in it mm. there were how many parts to that well, there's, it's all of issue eight, basically. It's the two lead stories in issue eight and then issue nine. So altogether, it's about 60 pages of Submariner Human Torch dust up. That's awesome. Mm. And it, it's lots of back and forth. Each one has their up moments, down moments. And the figures within the book themselves, this was so involved to get done. Basically, everybody who worked at Marvel, including Erwin Hazen, who worked for DC, he created, uh, actually didn't create, he worked on Green Lantern, created Wildcat for them worked on Dondi if anyone remembers that old newspaper strip you had Everett who was one of the greatest artists of the golden age and I'll show, I'll show you people out in radio land some of his artwork <laughs> later but Everett was a fine artist he really was his line work is incredible his underwater stuff amazing Carl Burgess's torch is fun not at that level but Everett's doing the, the Submariner figures Burgos is doing the torch and everybody else is doing backgrounds buildings cars <laughs> They apparently rented an apartment and sat around and drank and ate sam- deli sandwiches and drew stuff. They just handed it to each other. <laughs> and it's just, it was the golden age. It was a little more, little more crazy, a little more haphazard. But it's just a wonderful issue, and it is just nothing but brawling. It, Torch gets caught in air bubbles, gets knocked into space. The Samara gets covered in flames but can apparently exude enough water to put out the flames. They fire each other all over the place. Airplanes involved. Yet in the middle of this, the torch finds from the police, he meets one of, the Samaritan had a human contact in the police department, a woman named Betty Dean. They loved Betty back in the, the Marvel age, <laughs> Betty Ross and everything else. Yeah, it was back then. Who tries to convince the torch that the Samaritan really isn't bad. He's just misunderstood. If he didn't keep dropping bombs on his place, he wouldn't be so mad all the time and drenching New York in tidal waves and giant monsters and tearing the top off the Empire State Building. He's just, you know, he's aggravated. <laughs> just really he's had a bad day and you know, that's a, that's how his origin begins mm. he, his he's he has well aquaman has his origin i should say right he's an atlantean mother and a human father and she eventually sends him off to destroy the surface world because your father's people <laughs> but it was very soon after this that the look, even this issue the samarina saves a couple of little kids and doesn't let some people get hit by some falling rocks so he's not totally bad <laughs> And a year after this, he'd fight the Nazis more than anybody else. He'd beat up thousands of them. It just, and it was timely, so they'd all end up, well, dead. But anyway, <laughs> so you, you can get this for, it's, it's just this is Marvel Mystery Comics, commemorative edition, 8 to 10. Now, Bill Everett, beyond the art that none of you can see that is just so gorgeous, is somebody who co-created Daredevil, along with Stan Lee in the 60s, and actually came back to the character of Samariner in the 70s, though, this is, he, it's a Gil Kane cover, but his art was better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was all these years later. He, he worked for a, a paper company doing their advertising artwork, and it, it just was amazing. Quick, weird little bit of fact. Go ahead, Steve. I had a quick, weird question for you. Sure. I think you might have answered this a long time ago. What's with the wings on the Submariner's feet? It's funny you should ask. And it, Hilarious. He can fly with those little wings. <laughs> but eventually... <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I guess he helped him swim faster too. But he could fly through the air. He was—he's as strong as the thing, just under Hulk level. Underwater, he's as strong as the Hulk. 
But when the book came back in the 50s, remember I've discussed how they brought back Cap and the Torch and yeah. you know, the Cap of the 50s thing. Well, the Samaritan came back in the 50s and actually did a whole bunch of issues then. It's like 15 issues. He lost the wings and wasn't strong anymore and could be hurt. And in the middle of that, the Superman television show was really popular. Hmm. They were trying to make a Samaritan television show. They optioned it. They went to Timely. They Atlas at that point. How do we do this? They went to Bill Everett and they said, well, we do want to do this. Even have an actor picked out named Richard Egan. I've got a picture of him. I'll show you later. It look, doesn't look anything like Jason Momoa, but he, he's pretty good. <laughs> and Everett was told, okay, well, you're going to tell us what the Submariner can and can't do, but what we do want, we want him the way he was during the war. We're going to bring that up into the present. So there's an issue here where the Submariner actually is put into some nuclear power radiator thing and they grow his wings back and they give him back his strength and he's picking up giant icebergs and throwing them around and now he's, <laughs> he's back to who he is. Those wings are important. That's his little little deal. I thought they would have been fins. No, he has to fly. <laughs> and then why, you'd have to ask Bill Everett why he put him on there in the first yeah. place. But that was in 1953, 54. The book lasted to 55 and he went away and then is reintroduced, as everyone well knows, in Fantastic Four number four. <laughs> All right. It makes total sense that he could fly with little baby wings on his feet oh yeah. totally well he is very thin yeah <laughs> so maybe that so I don't yeah, know I he's aerodynamic i don't know if uh physically that works <laughs> i'm pretty thin i'm gonna go to the taxidermist having grabbed some <laughs> wings onto it, it, my feet it works in comics oh yeah totally um well who who did come first submariner or aquaman oh submariner by three years okay interesting i was never sure yeah, about no that. submariner I, Aquaman's a golden age character, yeah, and he's one of the few that actually ran through the 50s. He's a backup in adventure comics, if I remember mm. correctly. So they never like changed his deal? No. 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 He, he starts again, but some of those characters that had transversed the, the comics code actually had given other origins. I, have, I don't have the numbers in my head right now, but Batman, Superman, and, and Wonder Woman in the late 40s, early 50s all had their origins retold, and that's thought of as sort of the in-between mm-hmm. that creates their new origins. Aquaman and Green Arrow sail right through. Gotcha. And Martian Manhood actually comes before any of them. It's oh, wow. 54, 55. Wow, interesting. So even before The Flash. Wow, that's very interesting. All right, cool. Awesome, Bob. Very informative as always. All right, so it's on to me, I guess. Yes, it is. Uh, so I'm incredibly excited for uh, Multiversity, which comes out today, uh, Grant Morrison's Multiversity. So, you know, I looked at my uh, lineup of Grant Morrison books, and I almost read uh, Batman R.I.P. again, but uh, it's very intense and long, and so <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I decided I'll wait on that. Um, and a lot of the books I do are longer and, and, or I've recently read. So one book that I had that I bought when I was kind of buying all these Grant Morrison Batman books that I haven't gotten to is Batman Gothic, which collects Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number six through 10. Um, and it's the story of the Whisper Man, who is a, who is a, uh, a mobster who was killed, I think it was 10 years before, um, 20 years before the story, uh, actually killed by fellow criminals because he was murdering children and they had to get rid of him. They had to stop him. So they, they but 20 years later he's come back and now he's picking off these mob bosses. So the, the mob bosses actually go to Batman and go, we need your help. Um, wow. uh, and they, they create like this bat, this upside down bat signal for him to, to see to come. 
and it, the interaction between him and the mobsters is, is is very cool. I mean, it's he base his Batman thing is basically like, you know, how dare you? How dare you call me here? He's like, he, you know, they ask for help. He's like, I'm not going to help you. He's like, you're getting what you deserve. And then he like Ooh. just goes away. Oh, man, <laughs> cold as ice. Yeah, um, but you know, through the story, uh, the, the Whisper Man is is linked to to Bruce in some ways, and it, it, we start to kind of go down the rabbit hole of uh, the Wayne family and his past, and and you know these ties to older times, and um, you know we get into uh, you know finding old letters and all of this other stuff. So, and what sort of happens is, if you've read. Uh, Morrison's Arkham Asylum, which is a very bizarre, intense, surreal book. This is like a, I feel like a step back from that. You know, it's it's much more of a straightforward narrative, but it's still because it blends future and past and all this stuff going on. It still has kind of that Morrison, like what the hell's going on? Yeah. Sometimes you get those moments. Uh, the uh, the art is by Klaus Janssen, uh, and it's great. It's awesome. Oh, Janssen's always amazing. Beautiful. Yeah. It's it's scary. It's it's intimidating. I I don't know if I I love his batman so much i don't the i don't i don't know the face doesn't do it for me i don't know sometimes sometimes it looks great sometimes it has like this weird like squiggly squiggly or improportioned face that i don't really like (laughs) sometimes it looks awesome that's that's the only thing but all his art is sort of you know it's it's more impressionistic in a lot of ways so angular angular, so it doesn't you're consistency i don't feel like it's always the it's not the, his mark right it's it's this power of emotion and this power of of tone i think that really works throughout the book um you know i really enjoyed it, it it's 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 a nice piece it's a, it's a one-off sorry it's early days of batman so you know that that's the whole deal with legends of the dark knight if people don't know the series created till early stories of batman and it would be anth- almost like anthologized small arcs by really big creators and creative teams so they could write batman stories and go off and you know this is early as a Batman. So at one point, Batman's on a like on a gargoyle or on on a low ledge, and people are terrified. You know he breaks up a crime, and the person who's getting robbed like runs away, terrified of Batman. You know, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. So there's some of that stuff involved too. There's you know that more of a raw edge to the character mm-hmm. because he hasn't developed into kind of this this shining knight of Gotham. He's still this urban legend type of character. Hmm. Uh, it was really good. Interesting story about it though. It's 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 funny because. It's six through ten. Originally, Morrison was supposed to kick off the the series, but uh, they had promised they they uh, they had promised it to Denny O'Neill, and, oh, it, uh, and reasonable, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so they let him do the first arc, and then he came back and did six through ten. Really, really cool. It's really it's short. It's it's easy. It's it's collected. Um, it's a really really good Batman story. If you're looking for something kind of not in continuity, something you can just read and, and put down. Good stuff. Batman Gothic, which collects Legend of the Dark Knight number six through ten. Um, the other thing I read was uh, it's actually it became more pressing in the last six hours because this of uh, this a uh, fresh new rock Dwayne you know Dwayne oh, Johnson yeah, Shazam thing came up because he talked about you know how basically he's like oh we've been working on Shazam two thousand eight it's gonna happen he's like we're just waiting to announce it that's basically what he said. <laughs> So he was doing press for Hercules, I think, in Mexico, I think is what, what it was. Yeah, I think that's where he is. Yeah. Um, and he just said it. So apparently he's, he's but he's deciding whether he's going to play Shazam or Black Adam. Okay. So he's not sure which one he's going to play yet. I think he should play he's Black gonna Adam. He's going to play the wizard. He's going to play the wizard, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wear a white beard and a robe. It'll be like an Eddie Murphy movie. He'll play all of them. He'll also play oh, Billy no. Batson. He'll just be like... <laughs> and Mary Marple. Yeah. Rock's head on top of a kid body. Yeah, absolutely. Frightening. Um, they'll do what they did with that one Wayne's movie where they made them like babies or whatever. <laughs> Um, I wonder if the uh, 
Shazam's gonna have the eyebrow going. <laughs> yeah, <up>. yeah. <laughs> um, People's eyebrow. So that, that I didn't pick. I didn't read this book for that reason. I read this book because I've been kind of having a bummer week, in which I will uh, we'll talk about later in the show. Um, but uh, I wanted something that was gonna make me laugh, something that make me smile, and I didn't realize I had this on my shelf. It was. Um, a few months ago, a listener dropped off some books and we got to go through them. And this is one of the ones that I took. Um, it's called Shazam, the monster society of evil. Uh, it's, it's, um, written and drawn by Jeff Smith who does bone. Ah. Um, and also did that, uh, Tula, whatever that new book, that caveman book, Tulak, Tulak, Tulak Tulak book that just came out. So it is basically a retelling of the origin of Shazam. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, you know, 25 issues boiled down into four issues um, in, in some ways. Uh, but it retells how, you know, he became Billy Batson becomes Shazam. We get the origin of Mary Marvel in this book. Uh, you know, we meet uh, Tawny, the tiger. We, we meet Dr. <laughs> Savannah. We, you know, we, we meet every, every, no, all those that tiger. No, not Tony, the tiger, Mr. Tawny, Tawny. Mr. Tawny, the talking tiger. If I didn't do it. Somebody else would have had to. So, it's four issues and they are, it, it's a, it's a contained mini series. Again, that tells you the origin of Shazam. First of all, uh, the art by Jeff Smith is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's adorable. Uh, his Billy Batson might be my favorite Billy Batson. He is like this little imp of a little boy. I mean, he's like dis, as disproportionately big as Captain Marvel is. That's how disproportionately small, you know, Billy Batson is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, the way they tell his origin here is he is homeless, obviously, but he, he's he's homeless in you know modern times, so it's a little bit different story. And it deals sort of – it doesn't delve into stuff because it is definitely an all-ages book, and it's a book that you can give to a, a kid and let them read, and I think they'd get the point of um, of Captain Marvel. And it, and it has other levels to it because it, it deals with uh, real issues that I think a lot of great young adult literature does in ways that make kids absorb it without thinking they're being taught to. Uh, but it deals with the kind of the home situation and this whole idea of Billy kind of feeling like nobody wants him, you know, and what would you feel like if you were a kid who, you know, his parents are, are dead and he has got along without them, but he, he is no one. Right. And there's a lot of stuff in this book about him, you know, the Captain Marvel. Now in this book, I, I think this is, it obviously differs every time somebody does this book, but in this, it's not like Billy Batson. It's just Billy Batson's brain inside a giant man. Him and Captain Marvel kind of share a consciousness oh. here. So Cap- Captain Marvel himself is kind of a person, and he, him and Billy, you know, they remember the stories. Then and they kind of they they have merged personalities. Much more Billy to Captain Marvel than Captain Marvel to Billy. But so Captain Marvel wants to help him, and there's a moment where they go to the Rock of Eternity, and when they go to the Rock of Eternity, they're they're separated out into two separate people oh. to talk to the Wizard, and you know uh, Captain Marvel wants to help him. He want, he's like we look, you know I want to get you a house. We need to find you know parents for you. And Billy's reaction is absolutely not. I've got to find all on my own. I don't need someone to help me. And if you've ever you know been around people or yourself have gone through traumatizing times, sometimes. Even when someone's offering you exactly what you need and you want, you don't want it because you built up such a defense mechanism to, you know, right. in, in, into not wanting it. And it deals with that in a very interesting way, and it, it leads to that stubbornness leads to Billy, Billy doing something that is very dangerous. And it's a good kind of lesson learned type of uh, scenario in the book. And then, and that's kind of the the deeper stuff about it. But 
really on its surface, it's a really fun, funny uh, action, you know, comedy story about um, uh, Mr. Mind, who is uh, invading the uh, invading the, the the universe, and he basically brings with him these kind of monstrous animals, uh, the Monster Society of Evil oh. is what they are, and there are these talking alligators and nice. Uh, and you know, these cyclopses and the you know um, he 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 has all the bugs in the world working for him. That's kind of cool. Yes, because uh, and their situation is he wants to wipe out humanity, and they're all for it because all humans do is destroy things. That's that's, that's yeah. their that's their that's their plight. So, and it's it's really about Captain Marvel and Billy learning to work together, and it's about Billy discovering Mary and that he has a family. And, you know, learning heroism and learning to be something more than yourself. Um, we also get Dr. Savannah, who is obviously a, a big villain in, in the Captain Marvel universe. And he is the secretary of, of Homeland Security. Really? Heartland Security, they call it in this. Okay. Um, you know, he's a guy, he wants to control everything. He wants to use this invading army as weapons to try to make money. You know, he, he's about as nefarious as you can possibly get. And is his daughter around in this one too? I don't think his daughter is around. Beautia. In, no, she's not. Okay. In, she's not in this one. Uh, we also don't get any Black Adam in, in this story either. It's really a Shazam, uh, uh, Mary Marvel story, and it was really fun. You know, it it it's one thing that's perfect for a miniseries, and I think that I talk about this a lot when we talk about kind of the ongoing all ages books, where I feel like for me, being older, I get, I get. I enjoy them for what they are. I think they're charming, but I don't find much more than charm in them. I think that they're 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 great for who they're aimed at, but for me, it doesn't hold my interest. And this is the perfect amount of issues to kind of hold my interest, read it through, get through it. It's beautiful. It's funny. Uh, it, it's it's heartwarming. Uh, it's 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 exciting. I, I, it's a really really great book, and I and I think that anyone who is interested in learning about Shazam or anyone who wants to. Um, you know, give their kids a book to read. That's about a, a, a you know a real life superhero. I think you can do a lot worse than Shazam, the Monster Society of Evil. That so, sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it was really great. It was yeah. really really great. Yeah, the that was the title of a very long Captain Marvel event back in the forties. Sweet. Which I think took up about a year and a half of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I think it was in Captain Marvel Adventures, which was a sixty four page one. So that was a lot of comics pages back in the old days, and it was Mister Mind back then too, and mm. whoever else he could corral. Yeah. It's just a great character. Is this your first exposure to the the youthful version of, as opposed to what they're doing in DC? Oh uh, no, I mean I've read. I actually have in front of me too. I have the Power of Shazam mm-hmm. in front of me by Jerry, Jerry Ord- Ordway. Ordway, which I've read as well. Um, and I've seen a couple of like the cartoon incarnations okay. of him. They did a DC movie uh, a few years ago, Shazam mm-hmm. and Superman, uh, which I really liked as well. So I have some exposure to him. Um, but I, I I think the character is very interesting, and and it's. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a it's a conceit that I don't think would be created in today's market. But the little boy who's a grown man and who's inside, who's driving the bus, exactly, so exactly. And I think they do cool stuff with that in this, especially they deal with like that that idea, like who is who who's in control? Why does Captain Marvel have some memories and not others? So there's a whole part of it where um, you know he meets Tawny and he doesn't know who he is, and he's like, "Why don't you know who I am?" Like we we've spent so much time together. You know, with the wizard and all this stuff, so there's a there's a cool kind of dichotomy to it. Uh, and again, the art is just gorgeous. It's gorgeous, gorgeous art. That looks awesome. Yeah, that looks really awesome. Yeah, it, it was a lot, a lot of fun. It was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the alligators. 
Yeah, the alligators are really cool. Nikki, did you ever read any Captain Marvel? Captain Marvel? I think I only really read it in The Sins of Youth, the the Young Justice uh, Mm -hmm. story arc. Um, And that's when everybody was turned into kids, or all the Justice League Mm -hmm. people were turned into kids. And um, Captain Marvel or Shazam's, uh, they, they all try to find different solutions. So... Um, the Justice Society goes into space, uh, and the Justice League goes to um, goes to the Wizard here. And um, there's a funny panel, a series of panels where each of these heroes, like, are standing in front of those statues of uh, the Seven yeah, Sins, the Seven Deadly yeah, Sins, Seven yeah. Deadly Sins, and they're all just like Wally is in, um, I guess. No, greed would be what it was. Kyle and he's and uh, okay. <laughs> envy was Red Tornado, and uh, was in front of Red Tornado, and um, Wally was in front of uh, was it the Wrath? Angry? He was just angry and impatient. And then of course there's Superman in front of Pride. He's just like, why are we here? Why are we seeing this stupid wizard? And then um, <laughs> Billy. Uh, like a teenage Captain Marvel with Billy's mind is just like, but he's the person who can who can fix all of this and being mm-hmm. very optimistic. He was the optimistic one of the group, and I think that was my only exposure to Captain Marvel for a very long time. Cool. Yeah, they do a, a kind of a version of that in the Young Justice uh, cartoon as well, which was really oh, good. That was a, really... was a fun story. I talked about the Justice Society one a few weeks back. Yeah, yeah it's very fun. Yeah, a yeah. lot of fun. They did a cool one where they did the same thing where they it wasn't adult like it was not the oh they turned them into kids but all the adults disappeared. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, and no more grown ups. No more grown ups. Yeah, and, and uh, Shazam was the only one who could kind of straddle the line between the two. He was the only one who could, he, he, he when he was Shazam he would be with the adults wherever they had kind of disappeared to, mm-hmm. and when he was Billy he would be back with the wow. in the real oh, world. That's... What a great what a great clip. Yeah, yeah. It was it's a really it's a really really cool. Uh, I think it's two parter uh, Young Justice, but. That cartoon too. That if people haven't watched that cartoon, I and mean, we haven't talked about it in years because it's been off the air now. But that cartoon is amazing. Yeah, I remember watching those as they were, yeah, winding down. Yeah, amazing, amazing stuff. Miss Martian and yeah, really. oh, such great stuff. Um, there's this really great part at the very beginning of this book where uh, Billy is running away from a uh, kind of a neighborhood tough who wants money from him. He's like you know kind of runs the the decrepit block where Billy lives and. Uh, he runs away and he, he stops at a hot dog vendor and he gives the hot, hot dog guy money and he goes, this is from my friend. And he goes, what friend? And he goes, you'll know when he gets here. <laughs> um, and he runs away and then you hear like the boom. You see like, the boom, um, you know, onomatopoeia written and then, and then, um, you know, like Tuff comes up and the guy, the guy like starts to hand him the hot dog and he's like, what is this for? And he takes it and he's like, sucker, I got a free hot dog. And then like, <laughs> Shazam shows up and he, you know, get, he gets rid of him. Um, and he says, he, he's looking at it and he goes, can I have mustard and onions on this, please? And then he's putting onions on it and the hot dog guy's putting like regular white, white onions on it. Mm-hmm. And he has this look of like, like utter, like almost like a gasness on his face, Shazam. And he says, don't you have the onions and the tomato sauce? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. And then he goes on and eats it with this big smile on his face. It's really, really cute. Really good timing. It's really great. If you're looking for a laugh, looking for a have a smile on your face. Check this out. Now, if you get a chance, everybody, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but this Captain Marvel movie coming, well, this Shazam movie isn't the first one. They mm. made a movie serial back in the 40s with a guy named Tom Tyler, who's a big cowboy star. He's actually in, he's in the mummy's hand, too. Hmm. They do the real origin and Shazam and the wizard and the whole bunch of stuff. 
he eventually takes a machine gun to a bunch of people, which isn't exactly into under character. But yeah. you know, other than that, it's really, really well done. He's fighting the what's he called? I think the scorpion. Okay. He builds this, this, this giant scorpion thing, and each one of the legs holds a lens that can create a laser beam that can melt pyramids and all mm. sorts of stuff. So very superhero-y and still the whole right. Egyptology thing going. Very cool. All right. Going to do it for my books of the week. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and do some listener questions. Answer some more listener questions. Yeah, um, we've got a, we got a few in front of us here, and we're gonna we're gonna go through and see see where it takes us. See where it takes us. Um, we've got this is from uh, this is from the forums. Oh, it's from Captain Saxon on the forums, and I'm gonna say he says, but could also be she. He or she says, if you could have three creators from DC on three books from Marvel. Who would you like to see, and vice versa? Writers, artists, inkers, it doesn't matter. ba ba Ooh. <laughs> inkers. <laughs> Colorists. Mm, I've got a big, uh, big, I got an inker I definitely want on this, uh, on Daredevil. <laughs> well, who's going to go first? Uh, Steve, you got your list in front of you. Why don't you go first? I want a Brian K. Vaughn Aquaman book. All right, where's he? He's not a DC writer or a Marvel writer. He's a Vertigo, he's a Vertigo writer. He's, no, he's a he has image. It has to be Marvel and DC. Yeah. The, All right, fine. Did you read the question? Kelly Sue DeConnick on Wonder Woman. Okay. <laughs> Boom. That was mine too. That was all. Yeah. That was one of mine as well. Nice. <laughs> Bob, I got to go first. Um, Gail Simone on Fantastic Four. Ooh. Oh, nice. Smooth, Bob. Very smooth. All right, I got a Mark Wade on Teen Titans. Oh, I'd like to read that. I wanted because he'd actually write the Teen Titans, <laughs> and not uh, whatever they're doing now. Um, Nikki, what about you? What, you got one for us? And to go with that, I'd put Adrian Alfona on Teen Titans. Oh, Alfona. Oh, I would read a Mark Wade, Adrian Alfana. Teen Titans book, absolutely. That would be amazing. Mm. Uh, I've got one. All right. I would like uh, both Catherine and Stuart Eminen uh, getting together for a run of the Suicide Squad. Okay. That would would be be fun. She is kooky as hell, and I love his artwork and think that he would would do a a fine job on a Suicide Squad book. And maybe uh, get me to stay on it for a little while. I just... I feel like that that group and that setup has such potential, and I've I've liked some of the stuff that they've done with it uh, in the past year or two, but nothing that really sings. I want somebody to be on that book that's just going to make it so off the wall and wacky because I feel like you could do that with oh, yeah. with that book. Absolutely. I just wish that somebody would just push it over the edge. Feels like they're always playing within the same confines or within the same rules as the last creative team, mm-hmm. and I'm just so tired of it. Just Get somebody that's going to blow it off of its hindage and just make it really, really weird and really exciting. You know, just have like a, like a, just a stock of, of 
you know, villains that you can hand this deal to. So you can off people every couple of uh, issues or whatever and keep people guessing and stuff like that. I mean, that's part of the draw of it, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's in their name. Team Eminem for Suicide Squad. Nice. Hmm? Nice. I have one because he didn't get a chance to write the character he wanted and, and they didn't bring her back until after he was gone. I want, And now the book is miserable. I want to see Peter David do Supergirl. Oh, nice. That book had its moment. I mean, that, the, the, the way it started out in the New 52 was Absolutely. actually really great. It was one of my favorite books of the relaunch of the New 52 was that Supergirl book. And then um, it just got it just got pushed around. You know, it got caught up in that hell hell on earth event. Oh and yeah, then it, and then it lost its writer and lost its art. And it just it just and they were soliciting the book when it didn't you know with the wrong the wrong creative team yeah. on it. And I just haven't read it in forever. I have no idea the quality of it at this point. I know that she's a Red Lantern right yes. now. I think um, she's in the Jeff Lemire Dust League United book, uh, oh. and she's good in that. So, but uh, yeah, I, that that's a that's a good call on the. Okay. On the Peter David front, um, Nikki, uh, David Aja on Catwoman. Ooh, Ooh I like that. <laughs> good one. I like that a lot. That's a good one. Um, I've got. Uh, I had a Fantastic Four one as well, but I had Jeff Lemire writing Fantastic Four. Hmm. Some family dynamics in the more like lighter, like Justice League United tone, not the right. on the edge of despair as Stephanie. <laughs> right. Not the sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I feel like he but was he's, like polarizing. <laughs> yeah, but he's like he's fantastic at writing family dynamics. The family stuff in Animal Man is as good as any family stuff in any you know um, indie book or slice of life book. So I, I think that bringing that sense of family and loyalty and friendship mm-hmm. and all that stuff to that team, I think, could really, really work very well. Um, and he is not the kind of writer who wants to sculpt books to his image. He tries, I think, to hit the, the tone of the book. So I think that he would be really good. Hmm. Steve? I would kind of like to see a Cullen Bunn Joker book with stuff that he's doing with Magneto. I think I think the Magneto run that he has going on right now has been super cool. It's great. Um, I would love a book... Maybe not a long one. Maybe just an arc. Maybe just planned as like a six-issue mini or something like that. After he... I mean, this is... Am I spoiling stuff by saying where the Joker's at right now? No. Okay. You're you're year (laughs) now at this point. All right. Well, the Joker's been off the grid for Mm. some time. And, you know, now we have the Joker's daughter who's just... Needs to be ousted from the the DCU. Uh, I would love to know what he's up to. Where is he hiding? What is he doing? How is he planning to come back? Uh, I would just love just a book of him like living in the sewer somewhere recouping from what happened and plotting his revenge and just a really really deep psychotic story of the joker and like just his madness maybe get inside of his head a little bit and write write it write it into him coming back mm. quite possibly because I, I miss the joker like as much as we got the death of the family stuff it's been three years no it's been a year no 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 i'm saying Overall, like since the oh, DC yeah. fifty two, yeah. we got this, that run with him. Yeah, that's yeah, it. this September it'll be three years. Yeah, we got that run, but it would be cool if we had him back in a more, you know, in and out of Arkham capacity. I I like having him around, and I just after he disappeared, it's been a while. I thought we would see him. You know, he comes back and flashes, and you know, he's kind of this boogeyman of gotham at this point where you see him but he's not really there 
You know, it's everybody's worst nightmare that he's going to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially after his last run in, just how much more messed up is he going to be? Mm-hmm. So, Colin Bunn. All right. Bob. Jeff Johns on X-Men. Ooh. Oh. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Take all of my money. <laughs> uh, it just He's so good at finding the core of what makes characters mm. work. And the X-Men is in how many books at this point? Right. Boil it down to mm. a couple, couple of super teams and get it really going again. I, it'd be perfect for him. Yeah. I like mm. it. I like it. Nikki. Uh, Scott Snyder on Electra. Ooh. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like he can really ground Electra, but also still add those darker elements. So. Wow. Uh, that'd be really cool. Yeah, um, especially if you keep the Del Mundo art. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, please. <laughs> or even bring, like, Jock in for some stuff. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, it's funny. One of mine is uh, I had uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo doing Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, that would work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, one, that's my next one. Steve? That's all I got. That's all you got? That's all I got. All right. Um, Bobby, any more there? Sure. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick on Superman. Ooh. Nice. Ah. She did such a great job in the digital adventures yeah. of with that Superman mm-hmm. Lois story. Yeah. Back to the classic lineup, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to see her do more Lois Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I got one. Um, I've also got um, Gail Simone on Thunderbolts. Yeah. Oh, that could be cool. Yeah, it's the whole Suicide Squad sort of vibe. But you have to do the old Thunderbolts, not these new... Right, right. The villains turned heroes (laughs) Thunderbolts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Those Thunderbolts. No, not the Punisher... Is that book even still going? I don't even know. Yeah. It is? Okay. No, not the Punisher (laughs) Electra one. I'm talking about, yeah, the, the, the weird... Yeah. old villain one not the yeah not the new one where it's like the anti-hero team uh steve what, what were you gonna say i had um what was it tom taylor on um i like i like what oleshkot is doing right now at secret avengers i think it's super funny and i'm totally enjoying it and picking it up but um i love what tom taylor did with injustice mm-hmm. i think uh putting him on like a kind of a crooked team book like secret avengers could turn out to be really cool yeah cool the only other writer I thought of for Teen Titans would have been Kieran Gillen. Yes. Because mm. um, that would be, be cool. <laughs> it would be cool to have an amazing Teen Titans book. Yeah, it would I'm be. I'm torn about whether or not to pick up the second issue. I really, I don't know. Not torn. You're not torn? <laughs> not torn. <laughs> not at all? It's a, it's a no. It's definitely a no. That's such a shame. Uh, it is a shame, but it's been a no for me since. Honestly, like I, I read the first couple of arcs of the original one, the Scott Lobdell run when i did like that rankings a couple years ago yeah and i enjoyed what that was doing more than what that first issue of this did Woof. so it's just the way it is i mean I, I know some people very much enjoyed it and that's awesome i mean i won't be able to enjoy the books that they buy but for me it just did not hit the teen titans you know place that i wanted it to that's fair um all right so uh this is from nathan martin he says guardians of the galaxy was a pretty obscure choice for a comic book movie, what's another relatively unknown property you would love to see developed? Bob? One I've spoken about a lot. We're going to do more than one here? Yeah, we'll do more than okay. one. Okay. I love the Metal Men. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a Pixar Metal Men movie mm-hmm. really tickles my fancy. Ooh. <laughs> you would like that to be yeah. animated, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't want CGI Metal Men. I want the Incredibles <laughs> Metal Men. You have a voice That's cast? A- no. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Hmm. 
You don't have to have stars. You have to find the right voices. Yeah. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, you got one? Yes. You're going to have to help me with the name. I wrote it down, but I might pronounce it wrong. I would love an Alex and Ada movie mm. uh, to be directed by Alf- Alfonso Cuaron. Cuaron, yeah, you're yeah, yeah, pretty close. Okay, he's the guy. I might be saying it wrong. I'm not. The, yes. I'm not the pronunciation king. <laughs> he's the director of Children of Men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just you need somebody. Excuse me. Oh, choked up. Yeah, no, I am. <laughs> Got something caught in my throat. Bob was saying uh, earlier. You know, you want somebody who can do bombastic but can also pull it back and get really you know emotional and very personal and that's what that book is all about emotionally it's all over the map so you need somebody that can go from one extreme to the other that there's all these you know there's all this danger and there's all this stuff happening around the these two central characters but you want to be able to pull it back so that you can have the movie for even just for a few minutes be just for them and keep all the noise outside and make a quiet moment for them every now and again, especially during like the high emotional scenes you want, you know, the world to be it's disorder to be background noise for the relationship is why you really came in to see this film or to see this mm-hmm. story. Um, I just children of men for all of its chaos, I thought was, was a very beautiful film. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a fantastic movie. Oh, what an ending. No, we won't spoil it. No. For anyone <laughs> else. You should see that movie. Yeah, it's a great, great movie. Uh, Nikki, do you have one? Um, I tweeted this earlier, which is funny, but I would love like a Jessica Drew TV series. It's kind of like the anti-Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it's just all about her being in Hydra. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a She-Hulk TV series, which I always thought would, was an awesome idea. Oh, and... Um, an actual movie, Velvet with Diane Lane. Yes. Oh wow! As, Ooh, as Velvet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Very cool. Very very cool. Um, for me, I was thinking, um, uh, it's uh, you know, it's along the lines of Guardians in some ways, but an X Factor movie. Sure. The more the Peter David sort of run, obviously, uh, not the original X Factor, which was just the X Men. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the, the Layla, the one before yeah, this one. Yeah, yeah, the one before this one, the one before the the relaunch, before all new, the Jamie Madrox led um, X Factor. Yeah. I think that could be a really, it might actually be a better TV show, but I think that, I, I think that what Guardians proves is that, you know, kind of uh, interesting teams with big personalities works really really well, and I think that that's. Definitely one, and if there's cool enough powers, and they have enough connection to the X Men and stuff like that, that I feel like you could make it pretty easily and get some get some bucks out of it. Absolutely. So X Factor is one for me. Bob, you have more. I've got a very obscure one, okay. but it is connected to everything. There's a series by Dwayne McDuffie called Damage Control. Mm. It was about the company that basically cleaned up after everything got destroyed by giant robots and monsters. <laughs> And they were lawyers and construction workers and all this sort of stuff. You can tie every other Marvel thing into it. And if James Gunn isn't busy, he'd be <laughs> perfect. I think he's busy, Bob. <laughs> in between. In between, he can sneak one in. Yeah, absolutely. Steve, do you have any more? I would like a, an added, kind of along in the vein of what uh, Bob was saying, I love a Pixar animated film of The Runaways and directed by Brad Bird. All right. All right. I think that would be fantastic. Pair, pair them with the Big Hero 6 <laughs> and a big crossover eventually. I think it would be wonderful. Um, Nikki, do you have any more? No, I think that's it for me. 
Okay. Um, really quick for me, just uh, actually two books um, from the New 52. Um, Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. Ooh, I need to really think of cool. that. It's got a really yeah. cool cast of characters. It's still, It's got that kind of that, that Universal Monsters vibe to it because you have a lot of those characters popping up. I think it would be <laughs> really fun to see. Um, and Animal Man also I think would be really cool. Really cool thing to Let's say. hope it doesn't turn out to be I Frankenstein Agents of Shade. Yeah, no, no, no. Or Van, Van Helsing. Um, that movie was such shit. <laughs> it really was. All right. I have one more. Oh, Bob, go ahead. Sorry. Um, something I talked about some weeks ago, actually around the convention, it was I got to meet Jeff Darrow, and it'll be in today's Dark Horse Presents. Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. Oh, yeah. And I want it by Benicio Del Toro. <laughs> I want Pacific Rim with a little boy robot smashing up stuff be and giant monsters awesome I'll see anything with him in it I love that dude um alright let's see what's next here um alright this, uh, this is a big one this is a tough one you have to restrict your pull list <laughs> to just five titles what are they um she says, I'm not really sure if we'd be allowed to include up-and-coming series or not. Oh, this is you writing this? Or I this, wrote this. Oh, this is your note. I thought this was part of the question. No. I was like, this is a very detailed question. You can write whatever you want, Bob. It's, it's, it's our rules. Okay. Um, you, you have to restrict your full list to five titles. There's uh, whatever five titles you want. Bob, you have your list in front of you? Yep. Okay, go ahead. Though it's tough. This will be, if this is the, you do this or you can't ever buy comics. It's mm. one of those things. So. Yeah. That said, with the current state of Fantastic Four, that would drop this from my pull list after all these Crazy. years. Because I, if I only have five, I want to be mm. books I'm enjoying yes. reading. And so, Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, Silver Surfer, we're going up and coming, so I'm throwing Batgirl into this, and Bitch Planet. All right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Nikki, what do you got? All right, I got Afterlife with Archie. Nice. Miss Marvel, Rat Queens, Sex Criminals, and Lumberjanes. All right, Steve. I've got uh, The Amazing Spider Man, Thor, God of Thunder, Ms. Marvel, Sex Criminals, and The Batman. All right. I've got uh, Ms. Marvel, so it's on all oh. of our lists um, Saga, Sex Criminals, Batman, and Daredevil. Very nice. I'd be happy if those were the five books I was getting every month. I, I could, could I could live with I myself. Could deal, I could deal with that. Um, yeah, it was it, it was. It's funny because Saga is never the first book I read, but every single month I always really enjoy it, and I always, I'm always glad that I read it. So I don't it ha- it stays on there for me just because it's just so consistent to me of, of entertainment value for yes. what I'm looking for. Um, all right, cool. Uh, all right, so let's see. Um, so Bryce Logan wants to know, any advice on getting a new podcast out there and acquiring new listeners? Um, well, Bryce, if you have any advice for us, we could uh, yeah. definitely take it. But no, uh, it's that's a, that's a good question. I mean, it's a little bit of inside baseball question because I don't know how many people are interested in, in starting a podcast. Um, I, I, I would tell you there are a few pillars. If you're going to ask me my personal opinion, then we'll, we can go around the room. But I, I think that, uh, A, consistency is, is probably the most important aspect of the entire operation. You need to do it at the same time every week, have it come out so people know when it's going to come out so that they know that it becomes an appointment for them, that they know when Wednesday morning, Talking Comics is there, and I'll get it. 
um, if if you're if you're sometimes on Wednesday, sometimes on Friday, sometimes on Thursday, even if they subscribe, sometimes if if you if you're not in a window, they won't no people won't listen, um, and so that is extremely extremely important. Uh, B, I mean, you have to. It, you might not think it because there are a billion podcasts out there that sound like crap, but it needs to sound good. If you really want people to take you seriously and you want to be successful, it needs to sound good. Um, you can get away with not sounding great, but you need to at least sound good. You can't just record it on the microphone of your laptop. It, you, you have to be better than that because you have to understand the... Uh, you have to understand the intricacies of audio and how things are compressed and, and how things will sound worse coming out of certain speakers than other speakers. Learning about audio is incredibly important as well. You need to start learning how to edit audio, what audio compression means, what bit rates mean, all this stuff, because it's going to become important to you as you go farther on if you start doing longer shows, if you start, if you start um, you know, trying to do ads on your shows, whatever. It's, it's an important, important thing. But, I mean... The most important probably of anything is probably to just be passionate about the thing that you're doing it. You have to love that you're doing it because no one's going to pay you to do it. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> uh, it's very, very tough to make any money at all or even make back your money doing something like this. You've got to love it. You've got to enjoy the people that you do it with. And you've got to be doing it for the right reasons, which is you want to get information out there. You want to be a, a positive voice out there. You would think you can bring something to the conversation that no one else brings that's that's what it's equal success i mean there's a ton of other stuff you need to be you need to be you need to know social networks you need to know all that stuff but um you know the the, the sound quality uh you know your consistency and a love for it i think are the three biggest things that you need to do mm-hmm. i don't know yeah any, any other opinions steve well i mean i i started the talking games podcast but i mean Luckily for me, I've been doing talking comics for the better part of three years, and I've had, you know, Bobby to learn off of, and I learned a lot from the Giant Bomb podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bobby brought a lot of great points to the table, and I, I support, you know, his his advice to you wholeheartedly. Uh, one of the most important things I find, uh, particularly with the Talking Game Show is finding a dedicated team, people that you can podcast with, that you're friends with. Try not try to get a, a good, like, diverse group going on. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have... It's cool to have people that you, you know, you, you guys have like opinions, but you need to have variety if you're going to keep the, the show going. And you also need to be willing to step outside of your comfort zone, Uh example where i'm playing now playing games and have purchased games and have delved into games that i haven't played probably an upward of like 15 years i bought fifa you know 14 Mm. you would never find a fifa game in my house anywhere uh playing that now and it's very important like he said for it to sound good you have to i've listened to some podcasts where i've turned it on and within just a few minutes i've had to step away because the people sounded as if they were not shouting to their microphones, but that they sounded really far away and it was a strain to hear them. So sound quality is very important and consistency. Stick to a schedule. Meet at the same time. The show goes up the same time every week. If you have to write posts early and fill in the blanks, kind of like Mad Libs, Mm. do so. You know, prepare and above all else, care about, continue to care about the subject matter because... Doing a podcast every week, 
can be extraordinarily daunting at times. It'll be a slow news week. It'll be a slump where maybe some books or in the case, some games like they're done for the summer and all the major releases aren't coming out until October and November and stuff like that. And you have to fill in those spaces. You got to pull from the people that you podcast with or from your audience and drum up ideas and get people to ask you questions and, you know, put your, make your audience feel like they're a part of the show. That's another really big part of it as well. Ask them questions, ask them to interact with you, read off their suggestions and their answers and stuff like that. One of the things that people really enjoy, um, I think is when they're, they're heard on the podcast that they enjoy and that they listen to. I know that when I do my show, when we do, uh, talking comics, that people write into us and they're like, oh, you know, you guys read my question that made my day. People that love your show, they come to listen for you. But that that day where they're going to work and they know they have a huge project, but at least they have their, you know, their favorite podcast to listen to. And it just so happened to be that that episode, you got to that person's question and you gave like some good feedback to it. That could make a person's week. Mm. And it could also make make you a lifelong fan mm. as well. Um. So get in there, get involved, get involved with your audience and, you know, make them a part of it. As much as you govern and run the show, it's just as important to get your listeners involved as your core team. Mm. So that's some some advice from me on uh, starting a new podcast. Okay, I'll throw my two cents yeah, in here. Yeah, go for it, Bob. Listen to what the people are doing on your favorite shows and then don't do that. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Mm. You adapt what they're doing. You find the things that work across a large spectrum of things. And then once you're going, if it doesn't work for you or you're trying it, don't be afraid to change. Mm -hmm. Don't get so locked into, I'm doing this. Well, that may not be working for you. It may work for them. Mm -hmm. Try something else. Keep involved. Keep passionate. Try to put knowledge out there, not just blather. Mm -hmm. You know, don't scream and yell at each other because people don't want to hear that either constructive disagreements it's opinions not nonsense right at a certain level you might get a i think a, a buzz here and there from being edgy mm -hmm. for being weird or confrontational that sort of heat plays out in a big hurry you want to, you have to create a show where people think we're all not only are we all friends we're friends with the people on the outside too. Mm. That right. we we've been so blessed that you people have adopted us into your families. Mm -hmm. That we have now created something really special, and that only happens when it's welcoming in the room and outwards. Yeah, yeah. be willing to do a lot of work for no money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a big part of it too. I mean, you have to you have to put out more than that you know you have to give more than you get uh, almost completely and and you have to do it gladly it's not it's not a burden thing it's just look there is a million podcasts out there and what we're saying is great and you absolutely have to be you have to engage with your audience you have to the sound quality has to be amazing you have to be consistent but if you don't if people don't know that your podcast exists then doesn't you're you're going to be engaged with no one you know and you're going to be talking to no one yeah. so uh, like I was saying before, you know, social networks are incredibly important. I don't care if you don't if you don't like Twitter, or if you don't like Facebook, tough shit. You need to get on them and you need to learn how to use them properly. They are tools. If you're if you're if you want people to know about your podcast, you got to use it. Um, you know, you, you have to you have to you have to continuously you have to create a website as well. And this is something. Look, I did a, I did a few podcasts that weren't very successful. 
and and they weren't it wasn't because they were worse than the shows that we do now but when we created talking comics i decided that it was going to be a website first and then a podcast second and because of that we had a place that was funneling people to the podcast people listen to it you know you got to create content you got to be a pod you, you might record for an hour or two hours a week that is the least of your work for the entire week is the actual recording mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. There's so much more involved. You you know the the research involved. You know it depends on what podcast you're what you're doing. You know what what your what your kind of your your stick is, what your subject is. But you know you you have to do research because why are people going to listen to you if you're not uh, somewhat of an expert in the thing you're talking about? Right. You know if you're just if you're just going like oh uh, I just want to be like me and my friends are hanging out and we're just talking you're doing it for yourself and that's fine do it and that, that's totally yeah. cool but don't expect it to be something bigger than that because you have to you have to be able to realize that you have to sit, sit above the rabble that already exists and there's plenty of people who just want to turn a microphone on and sit there and do it and look we have conversations on the show and, and the show is very free-flowing but it, it's not chaos it's not like we sit down and we have no mm-hmm. idea what we're going to talk about before we do it it just we we work within a structure, but we work within a structure loosely, and I think that is what you have to do. Um, Nikki, is have you ever done podcasts before? Or is this your first one? No, this is my first podcast. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everything you guys said, like just from uh, finding out, well, and being invited today, this morning, and uh, till now, just um, looking over the comics that. Um, I read this week and like really looking at why why I like them and um it's just it's it's a lot of work and I've only done one episode not even <laughs> so yeah just um to do that consistently I I really do admire you guys um well, for doing that. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Jackie. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> um yeah, just one more thing. Yeah, sure. Um be aware of that this is kind of, this is more of a a word of caution or a warning. Um, the content, whichever you, whatever area, whatever arena you choose to enter into, um, it can often become daunting. Like I said, don't, don't lose your taste for your subject matter. Make sure that you stay creative and that you choose things, you know, do it because you want to do it. Because often when we're reading these books and when, you know, we're playing these games and we're watching these movies and stuff like that, you know, people that go to see a Marvel film and they're just going, you know, to eat their popcorn and be entertained and stuff like that. And as a fan, I mean, we are all fans. We are fans first, 110%. But we also have to be critical. And there are going to be people out there that don't agree with your opinion and they will come to you and they will say so. And, you know, they will act as if, you know, their opinion is law and you just kind of have to, you have to be ready to eat that. And you have to be ready to be critical about what you love. It's easy to love something and praise something again and again and just hand it to people and be like, this was awesome. But you have to know why. And you have to be, you know, people are looking, if they, they trust your opinion, they're coming to you for your opinion. You have to have, you know, a formed opinion about your subject matter. And sometimes it's really going to suck because sometimes you'll be reading something, you'll be watching something, you'll be playing something. And you know that in the back of your mind, you're always evaluating it. There's really no just reading it for fun or playing it for fun, even though you're having a good time with it. You're still having you're still of a critical mind when you're when you're working within that medium or whichever you choose. Um, so just be aware that should you choose to to go into the podcast, the deeper you get into it, the more that will grow, 
and never never lose sight of why you started it in the first place and your love of it in the first place because it will it will ebb and it will flow and wax and wane and all of that stuff but at the core of it it's something that you're very passionate about passionate enough to get up the the steam to have a podcast about it keep that close to you at all times and you'll have a really really good time yeah and uh if, listen, if people are giving you shit, you're doing you're doing something right. People are listening yeah. to what you're doing. Yep. Um, or you know, just spin off a podcast of another podcast, and then you have some of the work is done for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, it's really funny. So we uh, we had a cu- couple questions the past couple weeks about two stories that kind of hit, which was the Salt Lake Comic Con injunction and also the Mile High Comics thing. Mm-hmm. What's really funny is Mile High Comics thing has now kind of resolved itself because he said he's going back. back. <laughs> So I don't know if there's any much much to talk about. I mean, uh, it's weeks and weeks past now, obviously. I mean, the news has kind of outrun itself. But you, um, for people who don't know what it was, Bob, what was this Mile High Comics thing? And what is your take on... Because I know you have an opinion about... Sure. The, the yeah, guy Chuck Rosansky, who runs Mile High Comics, which out in Denver, obviously, it's a subscription service, has been for many years. He had a store, was one of those places, dealt with back issues galore, major, major collections, and so on and so forth has become disenchanted with the industry in general of late and the, the state of things. He's a, he's more of a curmudgeon than me, if you can imagine. <laughs> it's pretty hard to do. And this year he was... Now, prefaces, San Diego to some other dealers of my acquaintance have said that it, the focus has been more on media than comics over the last few years. Someone I know did some complaining, found himself with a booth in the front of the building and was selling stuff to Robert Downey and Stanley. <laughs> now, he's a big deal, as is Chuck. Chuck was complaining about the focus being off and all the big companies selling variant covers, special editions you can only get at the show, and it was funneling money away from the comic books and his booth particularly, and I'm never going back, and we made more money at Denver than we did per hour, and I can't make any money at San Diego. And on the first page of his own website is 47 variant covers at 12 <laughs> times cover price. Like I said, he's a curmudgeon who sometimes doesn't know what he said yesterday. One of the, one of the pillars of the industry. Right, yeah. But sometimes we old guys get crabby. <laughs> and it's crabby for not a particularly good reason. So this is probably what happened here in presented with he got home and really looked at the books or someone made the phone call to him and say, Chuck, all you had to do was say it to us and we'd have yeah. fixed this or we'd have given you some exclusives to yeah. sell and everything would have gone away. How did it exactly resolve itself? He, I mean, he just said that he, uh, he, he, his statement was that you know he made that statement about not going back after he drove 800 miles by himself <laughs> back from you know, San Diego, San Diego to, Denver. to Denver or Los Angeles to Denver or whatever it was. And you know, he looked at the books and he was this stupid and now he realizes that it was a, it was a mistake. And he said that the, they ran a sale, like a 60% off back issue mm-hmm. sale, which code word San Diego. And he's, they've already made back the amount of the money they lost going to San Diego with that sale. So he's, he's, seems like he's okay. Um, so yeah. So I, I think that's funny. I mean, I, 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 like, I don't know anything about the guy. I know that mile high is, is a big, big pillar mm-hmm. of a store and, um, I mean, we've been talking for years about the the issues with San Diego and where where it's going and what it's going to become, but I, I think that this seemed like speaking out just to speak out, like not to change anything, just to say I'm upset, so I'm going away. That's what it yeah. seemed like. It didn't seem like he was gonna. Tra- he was trying to like you know change anything. I'm taking my ball and going home. Exactly, taking my ball and going home. 
But again, the story's over because he's going back. Yeah, good for him and good for them. Yeah. You can't lose a guy like that. Yeah. Um, the other big story that we have to talk about this for weeks now is this injunction, which I don't think this has resolved itself. No. Um, so people who don't know, um, so San Diego Comic-Con is suing Salt Lake City Comic-Con um, over the name Comic-Con. Uh, they're claiming that they have the trademark on it and that it belongs to them and people can't use it for similar um, uh, shows. Uh, I'm going to get the deal. What do you think just on the, on the face of that, Bob? From a purely legal standpoint, it's the confusion in the marketplace. You are selling, the, in, in essence, the same product with the same name, Comic-Con, mm-hmm. that people would think that they were somehow related or it was a sister convention or something. If they had called themselves the Salt Lake City Comics Convention mm. with the full words, I don't think they have any leg to stand on legally. They still might not here. But you got to remember, Marvel and DC, for instance, own the trademark and the service mark to the word super hyphen hero. Right. Which is why other companies call them other things or one word or something else. They actually trademarked this years and years and years ago to avoid other people using it and somehow sullying the name. Mm-hmm. What is the New York Comic Con's actual real name? It's New York Comic Con. Uh, I think they have. I think that they have some conjunction with San Diego to be able to use the. Okay. The name. I knew it was like a big deal a couple of years ago because it, it, they became part of like. I, th- I think there. I, th- I believe there are. There is a like kind of stable of shows that are allowed to use that name with permission from San Diego. Okay, they pass a certain standard of yeah. I think so. I think so. I, I mean, I could be totally wrong about that. I remember uh, this is the story that I'm I'm thinking about years ago, and uh, I haven't been able to find a, a story about it since. So I mean, I'll go back and look while we're talking. No, but I, I mean, I have the funny feeling that Comic Con is now with it by coastal has become a generic term. Mm-hmm. There, I, I would say the San Diego folks are trying to find a way to stop it from becoming Kleenex or Xerox or Saran Wrap. Right, yeah. Where it's used generically when it isn't. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that because I think what's going to happen, they could win a lawsuit and everyone's still going to call every convention to go to a Comic-Con. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's funny, I didn't realize this. Salt Lake Comic-Con is the third biggest comic convention in, in the United States. Wow, I'd, I'd have probably told you Dragon Con or Denver, but wow, yeah. Salt Lake City. Yeah, it's 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 the third biggest. Um, Mormons read comics. New York Comic Con is the second biggest, and San Diego is the biggest, obviously. Um, what do you think about the name Comic Con being trademarked, Nikki? Um, Fan Expo has a smaller con in March, and it's called the Toronto Comic Con, but it's one word with one C. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think th- there was an issue with that, and they had to change it to that to keep toronto comic-con wow yeah interesting look i mean i what about what about you steve what do you think of uh oh, trade, trademarking I, comic-con I, uh, trademarking in general um no if if they bought it they own it i can definitely see that becoming a problem if i mean you say if you're if you don't have an affiliation with the original you know, you have your San Diego Comic Con, and then they branch out, and you have your New York City Comic Con. If you have Salt Lake Comic Con, and somebody told me that, and I'd never heard of it before, I would immediately assume that, like, oh wow, so they've got a, th- a third show. I wonder when that is. Maybe you know, it's in between the two, and you know, we can't make the one in blah blah blah. So we'll go to that other Comic Con. It's going to be the same deal. It does get confusing to mm-hmm. to people that don't do the research for it. Um, and I and I think that there are 
so many different things that you could call a comics convention that um, you would want to be respectful, especially respectful towards the law. Mm-hmm. If somebody bothered to shell out the money and, and purchase this term, let them have it. And, you know, comics convention or just call it something else that has to do with comic books or superheroes entirely and just, you know, get creative with it. Mm-hmm. I understand why you would want to have it Comic-Con because that's what it is, mm-hmm. but there are different ways to say without stepping on somebody's toes, especially ending up having to pay however many, you know, hundreds or millions mm-hmm. of dollars just to over, you know, a hyphened word or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems to me, I'm reading the story, that uh, San Diego doesn't legally have the trademark to Comic-Con, uh, and they've tried to file it several times, but there apparently has been a lot of blowback against mm-hmm. them trying to, to trademark a generic term like Comic-Con, um, and they're apparently doing this under kind of the brand confusion, the you know, it's sort of auspices. So it, uh, it, it, Salt Lake is not backing down, they're not going to change the name of, mm-hmm. of their thing, and they... And, there's statements from them saying, you know, shame on San Diego for trying to trademark a term that comic book conventions have been using for, you know, yeah. 20 years or whatever it is. Uh, it's a nice situation. I, I don't think I don't think a organization ever looks good attacking lesser, less popular entities. You know, you never look good. You look like a bully. You look, yeah. you look like you're saying, no, you can't use my stuff. That's what it looks like you're saying to them. Yeah. Um, I understand the reason, you know, San Diego Comic-Con is such a huge brand at this point um, that that they don't want someone thinking that smaller conventions are somehow related to them. You know, because looking at San Diego Comic-Con or New York Comic-Con, it seems like, um, you know, you would think, okay, they're they're the same. You know, they're, they're, they are owned by the same people. They're, they're run by the same people. I can expect the same level of engagement here that I can get there, whatever, and it's just not the case. So I understand that, but just because you're the biggest doesn't mean you have the right to keep the name. Uh, you know, that that's not really how... I mean, somehow that is how it works, which is unfortunate, but mm-hmm. hopefully it's not how it works here. And I was under the impression that they owned it. Yeah, no, they don't own mm-hmm. it. I mean, they. I mean, I don't think I've been calling anything San Diego Comic-Con, but the funny thing is, like, they're not... It's not even San Diego Comic-Con anymore. It's Comic-Con International, but no one calls it that. Yeah, San Diego. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. Like a whole a whole group of people decide, no, we're never going to call it that. But we had special... Well, it was New York City Special, special edition. edition. Yeah. It wasn't New York City Comic-Con yeah. Special Edition. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, it gets dicey. That's <laughs> sort of like calling something a bowling tournament or something. Yeah. <laughs> level. How do you? I don't. I don't. I. I don't see why the. You know, it's a comic con. I don't. Know, I. I don't know. Yeah. It seems. No, I agree with you. Hmm. To be, you know, that's ours. Give me that back. It seems petty. Yes. Uh, Especially when your con is larger and yes. and you know dominates the rest you can't let them have a word yeah again we're none of us are lawyers so i don't know the actual no. legal ramifications and the actual ins and outs of all this but speaking on it in a slightly educated but mostly uneducated place i'd say it doesn't That's seem what fair we say yeah, exactly <laughs> it doesn't matter what we it we it doesn't sound fair it even if it is legal yeah, it doesn't it, sound fair exactly um you big bully stop picking on that little bully <laughs> Uh, so this is from uh, other sm- other Summers brother on the forum. <laughs> At some point, I'd like the cast to seriously discuss what their critical mass of books is each week. Since they've been doing this for a good while now, how many titles can they honestly read, absorb, and be able to recall uh, come cast time? For me, I'd say 10 is an honest number, though I had my fits of reading 15 or more comics a week. Nikki, what what is your number for the week? Uh, for 
this week, I'd say like for average, it's five to ten. Um, also, depending if I'm picking up a trade. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, um, but yeah, I think it's five to ten. Uh, and it, how, how, is that still the same amount that you can kind of keep in your brain? Like, do you remember all 10 if you read 10 books? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I haven't been doing a podcast, so I That's haven't true. had to keep them in my mind. <laughs> whole new world, Nikki. You're in a whole new world now. <laughs> so we'll uh, see, I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, what's your what's your number? Oof. You can keep in your brain. Not your polis. We all know your polis is gargantuan it's disgusting that's um, what it is what is but you offer all those books how many think you can read in a week and w- without going back and reading again without kind of really sitting critically and, and like taking notes what kind of how many usually stick in your brain i'm going to be completely honest on this three to five mm-hmm. three to five books um it really depends on the quality of that book and it depends under the conditions upon which I read it. Like I said, I've said this before on the podcast, I tend to go for mood. Uh, if I decide to read DC books, I tend to stay within the DC universe just to keep that tone and stay within Gotham and Metropolis and, you know, some of their various locales. But uh, as far as retaining stuff, I mean, sometimes even retaining what went on within my, my books of the week, like I... I get general ideas. I don't remember names for shit. Hmm. I'm terrible with names. Like even the bunker, like as much as I love the bunker and I talked about it earlier, there are five characters. And for the first like issue and a half, I was a little difficult to tell them apart. You know, I kind of had to spend time with them. And then once if you, if I went uh, monthly with that and I'm away from the book for 30 days or whatever, that's going to be an issue for me. Um, you know, you got to remember we're, we're reading upward of, of a hundred stories a month, you know, for the podcast and, and our own interests. I mean, there are books we don't even get to talk about on the podcast just because, you know, you have to prioritize what you're going to talk about. There's like Batgirl. I knew that Batgirl was on Bob's list. I love the finale of Batgirl. I thought it was one of the best things I've read this year. It was fantastic. It reminded me a lot of the Captain Marvel uh, finale that we all loved so much when we did our awards. Um, but yeah, only a few. And and even then, without going back, it's it's shaky. Mm. You know, I remember, I remember the way I felt more than I remember the actual details of the book. I know that every time that I open up The Amazing Spider-Man, I am psyched to have the next piece of the puzzle. And I'm laughing with the characters and, you know, swinging from things and quips and science and, you know, what villain's going to come back next. And for me, it's it's a much more about the emotion than the actual, you know, details of the book. Not not The details don't always make a book for me. It's the sum of those details and how I walk away from the book. When I close something, like I read, I'm going on right now, but I picked up a book that I was going to loan to Bob uh, this week. Enormous. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to say the book, but uh, I picked it up when I got it and I read it and I read like the first couple pages and I just went something about this that I'm not digging on it, but I bought it. I should read it. You know, I should finish it. I should get, you know, the whole story before I form an opinion on it. And that came out well over a year ago. 
and it's been sitting in my room. And then Bob brought up uh, on his covers of the week, issue number two is finally hitting the stands. And I said, hey, I have the first one. Bob, I'll let you borrow it. And then I sat down in my recliner last night, and I'm like, you know what? Before I hand it off to him, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to read it. So that way, if he holds on to it, it won't matter. I will have read it. We can talk about it on the show in case he likes it. I got uh, maybe a little bit farther than the first time, Mm. and I just, I can't. I can't. There's something about it that it's just not... I have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. No idea what's going on. And when a book hits like that, I just I got to walk away and I forget about it. So mm-hmm. I can still let you borrow it if you want, Bob. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. The artwork is gorgeous, like this airbrushed movie monster vibe yeah. to it. I don't know how this became a review of Enormous. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I told you I was going to go on. <laughs> I'm, trail- I'm trailing. Three tonight. to five. <laughs> Five to seven, that's why I can't add something like enormous because mm-hmm. I just can't keep enough going. I can reread mm-hmm. tons of books. Oh, of course, yeah. Because they're already there and I'm just mm-hmm. revisiting. But yeah, new books, half dozen is about average. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably the same for me. I think there's only so much a human brain can hold You know, when they're doing critically. You know, I can go through 10 or 12 books and and know that I enjoyed or disliked the, the, that book. You know, but like Steve said, keeping details or keeping any kind of critical, you know, construction of thoughts about them is not part of it. You know, it's it's just, you know, it's very similar to watching TV shows. You some, you know, there are certain TV shows that you watch and you'll think about critically, but there's other ones that you just watch and you're like, oh, I enjoyed that or I hated yeah. that, but I'm now I'm good. It's gone from my brain. I'm done. Uh, and I think comics are very similar. I think that, you know, uh, there are a lot of books, and I think that uh, over the past week or so I've gotten rid of a lot of my single issues and I'm going to be cutting back a lot of a lot of single issues and really kind of only trying to attack certain things and things that either I love or that seem really interesting you know that I haven't that I don't know anything about um, you know the sense of discovery is something I think is important I think that um, you need your standbys you need the books that are like those warm blankets that you go back to every month you know every, everyone has them and the, the, sometimes they're the best books out there but I think to keep your brain as a reviewer as someone who talks about it critically you need to imbue new stuff that just kind of fires other parts of your brain off so that you it, they tend to stay in your head mm-hmm. a lot more. And that's why sometimes you see like, um, you know, we talk about a, a lot of books continuously, but there's a lot of number ones that we'll talk about um, because they they stick with you more because there's something new. Your brain is absorbing them more. And I think that, that that's important. You know, I think that, but honestly, I think that if you're doing it critically, I think if you're reading more than five to seven books, I don't see how without rereading, without going back and really taking time to reread those five to seven books, um, I, I don't see how you can keep them in your head in any right. sort of meaningful way. I, don't, I just don't think it's possible. I mean, unless you're like amazing, unless you have you know like a photographic memory, then that's a yeah. totally different story. But I, I'd say probably five to seven is probably is probably the number. Well, I mean, there's like there's conditions upon which we're reading the books. I mean, I mean, there are weeks where you're looking for your favorite books of the week because we know we're doing these segments, right? Yeah. And just something has not hit you yet, yeah. and it's the night before, and you know that you got it. Like, oh, you got to like get three or four more books, and mm. you're hoping that you find something because yeah. you don't always want to talk about the same stuff all the time. Because yeah. there are certain books that we love, and I could talk about, you know, Alex and Ada to death, mm. and but you gotta you gotta mix it up. You gotta go for those number ones, mm-hmm. and, you know, people that are looking for an opinion on a book that they might be hesitant about. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's something that, that's when I go to the, the shelf and pick out a graphic novel or something to read. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've, I, you know, obviously it's just 
when you're reading a graphic novel, you're spending more time with the characters in that world and with the art and with everything about it. So it sticks in your brain more. It just does. I think that's, that's obvious when you, or when you read a bundle of issues, it Mm. sticks in your brain more than if you read one issue and move on, especially if something, let's say like all new X-Men or something like that, which I love that series, but I I read the issue and I put it, I put it in the box and it's it's done. Like I I had a great time with it, but I'm not thinking about it. And you know, uh, but if you uh, but if you read something that's either obviously a single issue that's amazing that you can't get like the afterlife with Archie issue you can't get my brain mm-hmm. off of so good you know or or a trade that you love or whatever it just sticks more and that's that's you know that's the reality of kind of doing this is that you you need stuff to stick you know you need mm-hmm. you need or because if it's not sticking then you're just saying stuff to say stuff and then you're not doing really our jobs to do it. You know, I, I wonder what it's like for people who are just reading to read. Um, and it's funny because I was talking, we had this Skype conversation and we were talking to Nick, who is going to be a reviewer for us. Oh, cool. Um, and he was saying like, you know, just, he did a sample review. And he said just that sample review and just reading the, those books that week, knowing using a sample review, he started looking at it in a totally different light. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the case of it, you know, so... Um, it's different when you're when you have to think critically about something, or when you can just enjoy it. But uh, yeah, I think five to seven. I think that's. I, I can't imagine for people it's much more ever. You know, I think that's probably. But if you, I want to hear from people out there if they if they have one. Uh, let us know what what's your number. What's your number of books that you can read and really retain? You know, if you read if you read your books for the week and then somebody asked you, yeah, like oh, what what books did you love this week? What would you think about? How many would you be able to recall actual events with? I think it's a, a good question to ask. Um, and that's going to wrap up our, 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 our listener questions. Um, thank you guys so much. Uh, we went through some, we did some house cleaning on these uh, because they were from some older ones, some forum questions, some mm-hmm. questions that have been waiting on the docket. Um, thanks for Steve and Bob for, uh, for picking those out. You're very welcome. Um, our pleasure. So uh, we, we got some good stuff. And next week we'll come back with a, with a fresh new topic to talk about. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us, it's a podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. I'm going to do the new releases. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to separate the the, gotcha. the addresses from gotcha. the releases because I always feel like I do all the house cleaning at the end and then it's just like, and I we say all our names like four times at the end of the podcast. Yeah, so, uh, there you go. So I'm trying to space Good it out. Um, the, Bob gave me this look, gave me this very like arched look. Mm. <laughs> mm, what are you doing? Did you forget? <laughs> you haven't experienced the Justin Townsend squint yet. <laughs> <laughs> just you wait. Oh, it's hysterical. <laughs> he makes this face that I just I, I don't know what to do with it. It's so cute. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah podcast talkingcomicbooks.com facebook.com slash talkingcomics at talkingcomics on twitter Uh, and of course go to talkingcomicbooks.com and check out all of our news and articles and reviews and great features that everyone is putting up Uh, we have a bunch of new contributors Nicole Nikki sorry I told you about your full name very very proper very proper (laughs) here at Talking Comics Nikki um uh, is one of our new contributors, um, and you've seen our, already news items from uh, Hugh and Courtney going up. They're doing a kick-ass job so awesome. already. We, we, you know, our full our feature section is now full of news, which I don't think has ever happened in the history of talking. People are comics. retweeting our news. I know it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for that, by the way. Yeah, they're doing a great, great job. Um, uh, Gary Chapin put out an article. Um, it, he, he's doing a, a, a continuing column where he's dealing with, um, he calls it Bundles and Arcs. And this one he did Project Superpowers, which was a Dynamite series, I believe, mm-hmm. they put out, which was all these kind of forgotten Golden Age characters, the the, the Green Llama and people Green like Llama. that. Uh, 
they 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 did a comic solid sale where they I think they bundled the entire thing together for like forty dollars or something like that. It was a ton of issues, a lot of issues. Uh, and he did a whole big review of that. So you know that's it, that's awesome. Um, you know we we have we're gonna have uh, like I said, Nick Guerra is, is doing reviews for us. Uh, Logan Rowland is is joining the crew. Um, Holly Casio will be joining the crew as well. Um, we have a great great staple of people who are going to be producing awesome awesome content from for us um and super excited to see what comes again guys we said this a couple weeks ago if you guys didn't get an email back we're not done hiring we're just kind of doing it in waves so that we can uh bring people on uh and manage you guys and be able to give you guys the best content possible um so so excited to see what everyone produces from that um yeah adding to the already great stable of stuff that we have um We've got our all of our podcasts. Uh, of course, you're listening to Talking Comics. We have Talking Games every Thursday. Um, what's uh, do you guys have an idea what your topic's going to be this week? Uh, we it's going to be madness. Last week we had Bob on the show. We talked pinball. We celebrated Jackie's birthday. We mm. sang uh, Happy Birthday. This week it's going to be a grab bag of all the stuff. Everybody involved has been playing a lot of games. It's a full cast this week, and uh, we're going to get into it with Diablo. And God, Rogue Legacy. I people are probably still sick of us talking about it, but it just—I made it to New Game Plus Seven this week. So uh, we got a great show lined up for you, and uh, I believe there's another podcast, two more pod, three more podcasts. It's a lot more. Po- we got so many podcasts. Yeah. We got the Misfits, uh, Stephanie Cook, Melissa, 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 <laughs> Melissa Megan, Melissa Regan, uh, uh, and Mara Wood. Uh, they had their past episode was Guillermo del Toro. Um, so check that out. Uh, Talking movies with uh, Brian Verderosa and Chris Oliphant. Uh, this week's episode, which is a little late, which is a little bit my fault. Um, I'm on this week's episode. Uh, we're doing a 2004 retrospective where we go through um, our top 10 movies of 2004. Did you talk about Garden State? Oh, we did talk about Garden State. <sighs> yes, we did. Um, though it's very different from where it was on my list in 2004. Is it lower? Yeah, it's lower. Yeah. Uh, I still love it, but it's... <laughs> it's, it's like it was my number one movie of 2004, and it's no oh, okay. longer my number one movie. Um, it was really cool because I rewatched a bunch of those movies this week. Um, really fun to revisit. Um, some that made it on the list, some that didn't, but I watched uh, Harold and Kumar go to White Castle again, yeah. and I love that movie. That movie's awesome. <laughs> that movie's <laughs> that movie awesome. It's amazing. Um, but that was really fun, and uh, that, that'll be up uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we have Talking Valiant. Uh, with Adam Shaw. Sweet. Um, he's actually in. He's actually gonna be stateside. He's doing some conning. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. He's going to be doing. But th- don't never fear. There will be more episodes, and they're doing um, a interview with uh, Rob Robert Venditti, uh, the writer oh, cool. of Exo Man of War. Uh, so that is very very cool. Um, so yeah, we got a whole staple of podcasts for you guys. Uh, but let's talk about really quickly um, what is on the shelves right now. Uh, you guys can also. Um, uh, after after we do the releases, we're gonna say our goodbyes, and then uh, I have a an, a an address that I'm gonna kind of give a, a one man monologue uh, about um, the situation in uh, Ferguson, Missouri. So if you guys stick around after all the goodbyes, we'll I'll be I'll be doing that just to let you guys know. Um, but let's talk about the releases. Let's talk about happy stuff. Uh, Action Lab Entertainment Skyward number nine is out um, from Boom Studios. We've got Adventure Time number thirty one. Uh, we've got Adventure Time, Banana Guard Academy, number two. <laughs> um, we've got a Black Market, number two. Clive Barker's Hellraiser Beastery, number one. Um, we've got Empty Man, number three. We've got Last Broadcast, number four. Sons of Anarchy, number 12. And Translucid, number five. 
Um, let's see, from Dark Horse Entertainment, we've got BPRD Hell on Earth, number 122. Brain Boy, The Men from Gestalt, number 4. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, season 10, number 6. Um, Dark Horse Presents, number 1. Uh, Eye of Newt, number 3. We've got uh, ooh, Star Wars Darth Maul, son of... Dathomir, number four. Um, That's a good one. I don't know if I could say the word. Uh, Strain, the Night Eternal, number one. Um, and Witchfinder, the Mysteries of Unland, number three. From DC Comics, we've got Batman and Robin, number 34. We've got Batman Eternal, number 20. We've got Batwoman, number 34. We've got Fables, number 143. Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 34. We've got uh, Infinite Crisis, The Fight for the Multiverse, number two. We've got Justice League United, uh... Nope, we don't. Sorry, that's a reprint. Um, let's see. We've got Multiversity, number one. Uh, we've got New 52 Features End, number 16. We've got Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 34. Another book that I did not realize was still coming out. Um, sure, they just changed creative teams or something, didn't they? A couple months back. They've changed creative teams so many times on that book. That's it's like true. Superboy. Yes. Uh Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman, number one. Nice. Supergirl, number 34. <laughs> um, Teen Titans, number two. Teen Titans Go, number five. Trinity of Sin Pandora, number 14, final issue. And Unwritten Volume 2 Apocalypse, number eight. From Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult, number three. We've got Justice Incorporated, oh, number one. one. Um, what's the Shadow? Uh, Doc Savage and the Avenger. Okay. Ooh, that sounds right up your alley. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, six million dollar man season six number five we've got uh, solar man of the atom number three uh steampunk battlestar galactica 1880 number one <laughs> well all right There's a lot of words put together yeah. that i never thought i would see next to each other um that does it for dynamite for idw we've got judge dread number 22 one the book i'm second most excited for this week uh little nemo return to slumberland number one. Oh yeah uh Gabriel Rodriguez, who did the art for Lock and Key, is the artist on that book. Yes. Um, My Little Pony Friends Forever, number eight. Samurai Jack, number 11. Uh, we've got uh, Star Slammers Remastered, number six. Uh, Super Secret Crisis War, The Grim <laughs> Adventures of Bill and, and Mandy, number one. Wow. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, oh, uh, Annual, 2014. Wow, there you go. Uh, Transformers. Robots in Disguise. That's correct, number 32. Wow. Um, X-Files, Year Zero, number two. From Image Comics, we've got Artifacts, number 38. Dark Engine, number two. Fade Out, number one, which also looks awesome. Uh, Rue Baker. Oh, is that the one about the screenwriters? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have issues one of 24 of Fatal still waiting to be read. (laughs) I don't know that I can make the commitment to this one, too. Uh, Genius, number three, um, mentioned by Nikki earlier in the show. Uh, Manifest Destiny, number nine. Peter Panzerfaust, number 20. Protectors, Inc., number eight. Savage Dragon, number 197. Saviors, number five. Uh, Stray Bullets, Killers, number six. Supreme Blue Rose, number two. Trees, number four. Umbral, number eight. And Wicked plus the Divine, number three. Um, from Marvel Comics. We're not, we haven't done Marvel yet. Uh, <laughs> all I've got is seven books, man. I'm doing okay. <laughs> well, here we go. All new Ghost Rider, number six. Yeah. Uh, all new Ultimates, number six. All new X Factor, number 12. Uh, we've got Daredevil, number seven. Uh, we've got Deadly Hands of Kung Fu, number four. Deadpool, Dracula's Gauntlet, number seven. Deadpool versus X-Force, number three. Death of Wolverine, number... Oh, sorry, that's a postcard. Sorry, but I don't... <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to have somebody like, I turned the podcast off for reviews at Death of Wolverine and it wasn't at the store. Um, we've got, uh, let's see, um, Magneto, number eight. 
We've got Mighty Avengers number 13, uh, Ms. Marvel number 7, New Avengers number 23, Nova number 20, Original Sins number 5 of 5, Savage Wolverine number 22, Secret Avengers uh, number 7, We've got Storm number two. Uh, the trade paperback of Winter Soldier Bitter March is out. And Wolverine Annual number one. Does New out. Avengers come out every week? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, Oni Press, we've got Life After number two. Number one was really, really cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, nope, Titan has no new number ones. Valiant, Armor Hunters, Bloodshot number two. Delinquents number one. And let's see, from Zenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales, number 101, uh, Robin Hood, number one, and Wonderland, number two. Mm-hmm. There we go. I think you missed out on Electra, number five. Did I? It was, maybe it, let's see, maybe I was wrong. Oh, I did miss out on <gasps> number five. Thank you, Nikki. Nikki is keeping me in check. <laughs> She's on point. <laughs> Listen, motherfucker, you better talk about Electra. <laughs> <laughs> She's been correcting me on my own show. <laughs> All right. So those are the releases for this week. Um, mild week, relatively. 13 books. 13 books. That means like six for normal people. <laughs> um, awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, Steve, why don't you tell people where they can touch you on Twitter? Uh, my personal Twitter handle is at dead underscore anchorus. Nikki, what's yours? Mine is I am Asian Batgirl. <laughs> Which is awesome. Which is also your name on the forums, which is great. Yep. I'm consistent. <laughs> um, Bob, your email address. Bob Royer at talkingcomicbooks.com. All right. Awesome, guys. What do you mean? Let's look for. Who are you? Oh, but I'm going to say uh, I, I got my own thing to do. All right. All right. All right yeah, yeah. Just, I'm not gone yet. You guys are stepping away. I'm just making I'm sure. I'm staying here for a little one-on-one chat with, okay. with the listeners. All right. Only uh, after I mention a birthday. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I'm sorry, Bob. I forgot. That's it's very, okay. very important to Bob. Very important. It's very Bob. important to me. And if anyone who enjoyed Afterlife with Archie number six, so good, or even our old radio play, so good. Today, August twentieth, but in the year eighteen ninety, was H. P. Lovecraft's date of birth. Eighteen ninety. Eighteen. Wow. Died in nineteen thirty-seven. Very young. Wow. At sort of the height of his powers, just and he might have actually been discovered instead of writing for a half a cent a word as he mm-hmm. did back in the old days. So. I would recommend this. The DVD of this is out of print, but there's a wonderful little documentary called Lovecraft Fear of the Unknown that somehow the entire thing is on YouTube that you can look at it for nothing. <laughs> but it includes interviews with Guillermo del Toro, Peter Straub, Caitlin Kiernan, John Carpenter, Neil Gaiman, his entire history, the hell all the stuff, all the stories are discussed as well as his life and where it went and his friends and so on and so forth and lots of good stuff, lots of good information if you ever want to find out who this crazy guy was who did all this sort of stuff. So it's called Lovecraft, Fear of the Unknown, and happy birthday to the old gentleman from Providence. Awesome. Awesome. So Bob, Steve, and Nikki are going to step away, and we'll be right back with some words about Ferguson. What a fucking week. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm mostly terrified by the events that have happened in Ferguson, Missouri, that continue to happen there. And I think if you're not, then you're not really paying attention. Um, there's an author, uh, Alice Siebold. She wrote a book called The Lovely Bones, which I I really love. And there's this quote that comes from that movie that I always think about when things happen 
in the world that I just, I can't process. Uh, that quote is horror on earth is real and it is every day. It is like a flower or like the sun. It cannot be contained. Uh, I, I, I should start by saying that this is not a political statement or a, a declaration of guilt or innocence, uh, for anyone. Um, the officer who shot Michael Brown, uh, I'm not here to be a judge or jury. That's what the courts are for. Um, this is not a statement about that. This is a statement about what has happened in the days following that incident. It's about tone deaf leadership, uh, a violent police force and a disappointing media, which has led to one of the ugliest weeks in my life as an American. This is also not a discussion about comic books. If you feel that this podcast and this forum is an inappropriate place to speak about things like Ferguson, Missouri, then I understand, and you should absolutely tune out. But if you are thinking, but if you're sitting there thinking that this is too big for you, or that somehow it doesn't affect you, then need to take a look at yourself and realize the truth. You are uninformed, and you owe it to yourself to know the details of a situation that is a battleground for the future of our country. I find it difficult <laughs> to think of myself as someone who doesn't have the right to talk about things like this, things that affect us as a people so deeply just because I host a comic book podcast and I have a forum where people will listen and maybe one or two people will be more informed than they were yesterday and uh, my conscience just can't let it pass uh, the w- the words of a comic book writer, Alan Moore, have actually been kind of ping-ponging back in my head all week. And it's a, this is a quote from uh, Beaver Vendetta, and it says, Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of... Co- I'm going to start again. Uh, I'm editing this, by the way. I, I can't edit. I'm, I'm not speaking from the heart directly. I, I, I wrote this out because I have so much to say, and I, I just... I, I don't want to lose any of it. But believe me, I, I mean every word that I say. The Alan Moore quote. Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country. Isn't there? Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and oppression— And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have censors and systems of surveillance, coercing your conformity and soliciting your submission. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look in a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. 
there were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. End of the quote. These are words of fiction, but they exist for a reason. They're a warning to us all to not let it get that far. But, ladies and gentlemen, we have crossed the Rubicon. I have witnessed in the past 10 days the subjugation of an entire town. That in itself is terrifying, but that's not even the most troubling thing. The most troubling thing is the national response to what's happening in Ferguson, Missouri. The world didn't rush to the aid of the town. No, instead a country looked on with almost smug superiority and somehow was able to look at a militarized force gassing, accosting, and suppressing an innocent town and maybe not side with the gassers, the accosters, and the suppressors, but certainly act as if there's a gray area. Ferguson is a community in pain. One of its youth, unarmed, was shot six times, twice in the head. One of those, apparently, from behind. And not only were they not given answers, they were lied to and told to shut their mouths and take it. Think about that. The response of the police to one of their own murdering a young boy was not to apologize or reach out, but to put their foot on the throats of the community and tell them to keep their mouths shut. This is not okay. The police cannot kill indiscriminately, and they will not be above the law they're sworn to protect. Look, I cannot, un- I cannot understand the pressure and danger law enforcement is under every day. It's not impossible that Darren Wilson had cause to do what he did, but that's not a secret to be kept. It is a matter to be dealt with openly. But that's not been the way things have handled. We've seen the mainstream media do what they do best, give us concession. We've seen the mainstream media do what they do best, give us sensational headlines that askew fact for spicy details. But if this crisis has done any good, it has shown once and for all that Fox, CNN, MSNBC, etc. are useless dinosaurs of corporate greed and that now more than ever, those people on the ground using Twitter, using YouTube, even Instagram are the ones to look to for the real story. These people who have risked their safety, their livelihoods, and their freedom because it is the right thing to do. They have tried to shape the conversation with shades of gray to let you know what the big guys don't care to. That it isn't mostly looters and a few protesters. It's hundreds of peaceful protesters wanting what is best for their community and just a few violent, angry citizens who are going about it the wrong way. These Twitter reporters let us know that cops, some of whom who freely call the people they're supposed to protect animals have assaulted, threatened, and even arrested members of the press for simply doing their jobs. So I have to ask all of you out there, does this seem like the actions of a force that has nothing to hide? Does this seem like something that should be happening anywhere, let alone the United States of America? I wonder at this point where all the groups are who claim to stand so tall for constitutional rights. 
Where are the Second Amendment advocates clamoring to arm the citizens of Ferguson against government intervention? Where are the people who scream that the First Amendment allows them to put up the Ten Commandments in City Hall? These First Amendment defenders, where are they? More importantly, where are we? We, people listening to this podcast, people on this podcast, we're a group of people so angry at every perceived injustice laid at the feet of fictional characters. Doesn't matter if it's race, gender, or Wonder Woman's bust line. All of us seem suspiciously quiet right now. I'm not innocent of this. Most of my life is spent being more involved and angry about the validity of Superman breaking someone's neck in a movie than what's going on in the world. But how is it we can launch a campaign of righteous outrage over Janet Van Dyne not being an Ant-Man, and yet when our fellow humans need us to speak for them more than ever, we slink into the background unable or unwilling to know enough to make a stand. So what's the answer? Why can't we see the difference between dozens of looters and hundreds of peaceful protesters? How can we look at St. Louis, at the suburb of St. Louis, and think it's okay to watch officers armed with military-grade weapons gas and assault the citizens they have a duty to defend? Why do we sit idly by as civil and media rights are suspended in the name of protecting the details of a crime from emerging? I thought about this a lot this past week, the whys and what fors. And the only answer I can think brings up the ugliest parts of our entire history as a country. The truth is a lot of us whether it's consciously or unconsciously, look at the faces of those in Ferguson and think to ourselves, that's not us. We don't look like them. We don't dress like them. We don't act like them. And some little part of you thinks they probably are doing something to deserve it. The inherent racism in America It's something like an uncle with alcoholism. Everyone knows it's there, but no one wants to talk about it. But Ferguson has made it impossible not to talk about. And even if you aren't racist or you aren't thinking it about that way, you can't contextualize the differences in the way that different people are treated. Look, I'm a white man. The system works for me. I have had very few struggles in my entire life, and I don't thank that all to my race, but I know that it has something to do with it. In Ferguson and across the United States, the system doesn't just not work for these people. It actively works against them. So think about it. If there were tanks on your streets, if they were arresting your friends and family for no reason, would you calmly sit there and take it? I don't contone 
I don't condone theft or the violence that has erupted, but can you not understand it? How long can someone be spat on before they fight back? Things in the town are, are not only escalating, they're getting out of control and it, it's raised so many questions in my mind. What's the end of this? What are the police force and the state government trying to prove that they can beat the anguish out of an entire town? That if they put enough troops on the street, shoot enough gas and arrest enough people, that everything in Ferguson will be fine? The National Guard, a state of emergency, press pens, mandatory curfews. These are not the response of a government that respects its people. It is of one that is trying to control them. We owe it to ourselves and to the generations to come to not let this stand and pass without note. Get educated. Follow places like Vice News, at Matt Pierce. Listen to John Oliver on Last Week Tonight and get all the information you can. Don't let misinformation, half-truths, and the headlines be your education. This is a vital time in our history and it commands your attention because right now, Ferguson may seem far away. But think about what... I just gotta speak it from the heart. But think about what will happen when that man in riot gear is at your door. If you can sit highly by and think that a place where they're arresting journalists for reporting the news, where they're threatening people for filming police activity with arrest, where they're making an American town look like Baghdad. You need to open your eyes because this doesn't get better. It just gets worse. We're such an engaged, informed, passionate group of people. Why do we hide that away with the things that really matter? Why don't we take a stand and educate ourselves the way we educate ourselves about these things that we, that we love so much? We have to love the people that surround us. We have to love life as much as we love Batman. If we don't, we're, we're done. We're lost. It's over. Because this will just keep happening and we'll hide away and you know what? One day we'll wake up and all the freedoms that we used to have will be gone. And then what are we going to do then? Who are we going to blame? What are we going to say? I feel horrible for the people in Ferguson, Missouri. I feel bad for the people who get caught in the middle, for the cops who don't want to be doing this, for the people who just wanted to do what was right and ended up with tear gas in their face or rubber bullets in their side. I feel horrible for Michael Brown and his family. Why do these kind of things happen? And I'm so disappointed in the way the government has responded, the way our media has responded. They're supposed to help and all they've done is misinformed the point where I don't, I don't even turn on those stations anymore because what's the point? We need to be the people that make it better. We need to be the people who stand up and say, 
nope, we do not accept this. This will not stand. We have the power to do that, and we need to do it. A listener on Twitter uh, tweeted me this picture, and it was a panel from Captain America speaking in Civil War, The Amazing Spider-Man. It's written by J. Michael Straczynski. And I read it and it just rang so impossibly true to me. It, I was nearly choked up upon reading it and I need to read it to you guys. I want to thank at Infinity Watcher for tweeting this at me. This is Captain America and this is what I'm going to leave you guys with. Um, doesn't matter what the press says. Doesn't matter what the politics I'm going to start again. Doesn't matter what the press says. Doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say. Doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else. The requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for listening to the show. I'm Bobby Shortle, and until next time on Talking Comics, get informed. <laughs>